This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Monday morning, top of the morning to you. Ah, another week. <laughs> There's something about summer that makes it almost like you have to re-question every week. Doesn't it? Like It's like, oh, am I going to do this week? Huh. I guess so. Especially after a long weekend. Hope you had a great weekend. Fourth of D- July uh, celebration. Man, I felt like uh, <laughs> I'm getting old. That's the problem. I It felt like I was in, I don't know, Afghanistan at my house with all the fireworks going off. And uh, now I know what my dog used to feel like. I used to have a dog named Buddy, and every Fourth uh, of July, this poor dog would have a nervous breakdown because of all the fireworks. And I sat there in my house. My family was out of town. I dropped my my one son that was in town. He went to a friend's house, and I'm all by myself. And I'm thinking I really should get outside and watch the fireworks. I really should. And I didn't. Just know why. <laughs> Hey, I, I, I honestly had zero desire to go watch the fireworks. Am I just, I'm just getting old. I don't know why else, why would you, I mean, I've seen fireworks and I haven't seen one lately that like, I mean, as soon as they're doing fireworks where they're spelling names out and stuff like that, that's incredible. I'll be there for that. But I'm just getting, I'm turning into an old coot, just an old bum. And, uh. So that was my weekend, that uh, little yard work, uh, emphasis on little, and just a lot of Netflixing and a lot of, uh, what else did I do? A lot of writing, and then a lot of just sitting there like an old curmudgeon wondering when them kids were going to go to bed. <laughs> Quit making all that racket. Anyway, hopefully you had a better weekend than that. I don't know if you could top how exciting that was. Today we got a great show for you. Of course, we're going to get into politics today. We always like to just touch all the bases, and uh, we've got some some great questions for our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, who will be joining us. Uh, we're going to be getting into all of the, the latest news. Hillary Clinton's raising a ton of money. Ted Cruz, believe it or not, may have raised more money than Hillary Clinton. If uh, if we're believing all of the reports, we'll be getting into that. Maybe find out what's the big deal with the Greeks voting no. Uh, that was kind of a shocker. You know, they basically told the people that were proposing a bailout for a country, Greece. And eh, nah, we're not going to use that. So we're going to get into that. What's the repercussion of that going down? Jim Webb announces his candidacy as a Democrat. Donald Trump numbers are climbing, but now he's got a bunch of Republicans aiming at him, shooting at him. Interesting, interesting stuff. So we'll be getting into the headlines uh, in hour number one. Hour number two of the program, we're going to be talking about codependent relationships. Codependent is simply where one person tends to be more sick in the relationship. The other person tends to kind of be their rescuer. The rescuer always makes it so the sick person never has to fully feel the ramifications of their issues. So they never tend to heal and the rescuer kind of needs the sick person. The sick person needs the rescuer. And it's a crazy convoluted cycle. Do you ever see that in your life, in your relationships? Have you ever noticed you have a kid, a child that doesn't necessarily perform and you always go in at the last minute and save the day? 
And, you you know, you love it because you love your kids, so you're there to help bail them out, and then yet you're still frustrated that the child never learns. That might be a form of codependence. We're, we will, in hour number two, be talking about how to handle that so that you don't in, disable relationships and create less healthy relationships. And in hour number three, post-wedding blues. It is the wedding season. You may know a lot of people getting married. Uh, July, August tend to be when we have a lot of marriages, a lot of weddings, I mean, and... Uh, we're going to be giving you some tools, some ideas, uh, some keys for how to just get over the, the wedding. So the, some of us are so into getting, making sure the wedding goes off without a hitch that we haven't even actually thought about the marriage. So uh, Julie K. Nelson will be joining us on that to walk us through that. But before we get to any of this, we must go to the source, the source of news our own Kathy Aiken. Kathy? Good morning, Matt. Good morning. The U.S. women's soccer team dominated Japan last night 5-2, to two, winning their first World Cup title in 16 years. Carly Lloyd scored three goals, becoming the first woman to score a hat-trick in the World Cup. Lloyd said her team wanted to be aggressive right from the start. We knew that we wanted to come out of the gate fast and strong. We knew we wanted to put them under pressure. Score early would be great, but to score three goals in the first, I think, 16 minutes was great. And, you know, credit to every single player on this team. Japan beat the U.S. four years ago in the World Cup final. The seven combined goals, the most in a women's World Cup final. Lloyd won the Golden Ball, awarded for the tournament MVP, and her official website crashed after she scored her second goal. And she also added 50,000 Twitter followers after her record-setting performance. Sticking with sports, Dale Earnhardt Jr. won yesterday's Coke Zero 400 at Daytona yesterday. But one of the big stories was a horrible crash on the final lap. Austin Dillon's car flew upside down into the fence and shot back onto the track. Thirteen fans were injured. One of those sent to the hospital but was later released. Dillon was checked on and then released from Daytona's infield care center with a bruised arm and tailbone. Earnhardt Jr. said he saw it all from his rear view mirror and was shocked that Dylan even survived the crash. Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton has reportedly decided to be more available to the media beginning this week. After two months of not granting interviews to the press, Clinton has apparently realized her silence, especially on questions about her private emails, has hurt her campaign. South Carolina lawmakers will begin debate this week on what to do with the Confederate flag. Governor Nikki Haley asked for its removal from the state capitol after a gunman killed nine black people in a Charleston church last Last month, the state's General Assembly returns today. Outrage continues after a 32-year-old woman was shot and killed at the San Francisco Pier last week. The man accused of shooting uh, was Francisco Sanchez. He has seven felony convictions and was deported five times back to Mexico. Francisco admitted to the shooting in court and said he wants the punishment he deserves and to get it over with as soon as possible. And if you are the beach town of Seaside Heights, Matt, this was probably would have been good for you over mm. the weekend. Yeah. In New Jersey, you missed out on a great fireworks show that never happened, really. <laughs> so on Saturday, they were all set up, ready to go, when a large wave came and no crashed <laughs> and wiped out the first oh, set of fireworks. Man. Then they had it rescheduled set it up yesterday. Again, boys. Let's set do it, it up again. again. <laughs> Let's try it one more time. But the wind oh, man. made them cancel it a second time. So a bunch of people very disappointed. But oh, what geez. a great soccer match last night did you watch it? i loved it. i watched oh, it i watched the whole thing wasn't that awesome incredible it was could great. you have been prouder this half field shot oh was that incredible that was brilliant that, well the Jap- poor japanese goalie was so so short <laughs> but she yeah. kind of tripped over yeah. and, and well she uh, was like over. what was she like moving out why well, was she, she moving was, well, out they were so far down the other yeah. side she thought well i don't have to stay inside that close to the net oh, and so man. she was just too far out and but that see, shot was i think shocked her see but it's see, have you have you ever seen like a, a child in youth soccer 
that's the goalie. Uh-huh. Like when they're down at the other side, that other child, the child is just down playing with playing the net. Playing the grass, pulling the grass <laughs> Sitting out. down. <laughs> she just needs to just sit down right on the goal line and just wait for the ball. But, I mean, honestly, proud moment. That was So proud. Cool. Well, it was so neat just to see all people all around the country getting so excited. Yeah. I mean, the troops overseas oh. were into it. Yeah, that brings a country together, I think. The what women representing. Don't you wish the men had that power in soccer? Well, the, yeah, I'll tell you. It's hard. I mean, men's soccer is the world it, sport. It's the, it's the biggest sport in the world, so that's tough. But the women, three times, are the first, first uh, it's amazing. country to win it three times. Well, and she had a hat trick. Hat trick. That is, that that's Lloyd, amazing. I mean, that is amazing. That was amazing. And, Loved it every minute of and it. And you know what else? Just the. That there, that's a pretty good example of the what's it, uh, who's the who's the big um, Abby Wambach? Wambach, Abby Wambach, who basically is a player coach, right? right? I mean, yeah, she's at that stage now, thirty five years old. I mean, she just the inspiration of that, and then deferring to like the seniority on the team where she didn't play as much. It didn't seem like no, she she only played. Gosh, in the last three games, I think it was double digit minutes. She yeah. didn't play a whole lot, but the. The nice part about it, when she came in towards the end, Carly Lloyd takes off her captain's. Uh, how cool is that? Uh, you know, gives patch it to and her. Puts it on her. That was that was yeah, a great. That was way that cool. was great I think that's the that's that sportsmanship right yep, there. Yep. And again, the ladies, come on, Where'd that go, is women? so cool. Lady Seriously, Brock. you got to love that. Good job. Great news too. Wow, I didn't know Hillary. Uh, that's pretty good news too. Hillary's uh, going to start answering questions. Who to thunk? Who to thunk? Um, folks, that is you know that's what we try to do on the show. Give you the idea, the news you need. That's some pretty cool stuff. The uh, U.S. women's soccer team representing. We're going to take a break. Uh, hopefully get Joe Cannon in here. Joe's going to be talking politics with us as, you know, he's he's the guy. He's our insider here on the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Stick with us, friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, on the show, we we like to talk about uh, a bunch of different topics. One that has been really uh, on my mind since last week when we were discussing the Declaration of Independence uh, and the great blessings and benefits we have by living in this great country. We always talk about the freedom to, you know, have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We should have the right to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the freedom to, to do such a thing. And yet I, I sit there and I wonder if very many of us even know how to pursue happiness. You know, we just keep thinking happiness is going to be the next iPhone or happiness is going to be the next, you know, uh, you know decision in an election or the next decision in uh, our job, or if we could just get a promotion. Oh, yeah. You know, if I could just get promoted, then then I'll be happy, right? The problem is happiness uh, actually is being studied more than ever before. There actually are a lot of researchers trying to figure out what happy people do that's different than unhappy people. For years in psychology... They would just study unhappy people, and they'd find out, well, yeah, they're unhappy. And we never really knew what made happy people happy, but we definitely knew what made unhappy people sick. 
So if we're going to figure it out, let me give you some guides, some tools. And there's a great uh, – and we'll post it on my Twitter page, at Dr. Matt Show, uh, so you have a copy of it. But it is uh, – it's an image um, – it's an infographic. So you've seen these infographics. They're just – they're very visually uh, – it's a graphic that's visually describing certain benefits or certain things. And in this one, it's describing 12 steps to happiness, Okay. Let me just run through them because I want you to do a little assessment in your own head to see if you're actually on the road to happiness. Okay, here are the things that have been validated by research to show or to drive you to becoming a happier person. Don't just assume because you have the rights you're going to be happy. This is how you actually do it. Number one, uh, 12 steps to happiness. Again, an infographic that comes to us by the happiness happiness advantage by Sean Aker and uh, – they they basically have put together this infographic. Here we go. Number one, thankfulness. You got to thank someone and be appreciative towards your colleagues every single day. Happier people thank people every day. Are you uh, are you somebody that is you know grateful and recognizing the things that are good in your life? And are you thanking people in your life every day? Experience new things. Happy people experience new things. They try stuff out. They let people run all kinds of experiments on them, with them, and around them. They are out experiencing the world instead of shutting themselves in and not experiencing the world. Happy people are out trying stuff. Happy people end up giving more. Happy people give something to another person or make it possible for others to offer their gifts. Have you ever had somebody in your life that never would even let you serve them? No, 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 no. You, no, you, no, no. Let me, and they won't let you serve them. Happy people give. So they thank, they experience, and they give. They're out there giving and they let other people give gifts to you, to them. Okay. Happy people hike. They're outdoors. They enjoy nature. They allow people uh, to have an escape from the office and city. Happy people are outside. Uh, some of the research that gets into that are simply, you know, the more sunlight you're getting, it, it can increase uh, the dopamine and other factors in your life. So you feel healthier. You feel happier. They're thankful. They're experiential. They're giving. And they're outdoors. Happy people help. They help someone who is in need of assistance or enable colleagues to help each other. They, they give a hand. They're helpful, right? By the way, happy people sound like scouts, for heaven's sakes. They're thankful, they're experiential, they give, they're outdoors, and they're helpful. They lend a hand. Uh, It's funny, as we sit in church, uh, they'll pass around a list, hey, so-and-so's moving, they really could use some help. And everyone kind of just looks away, la, 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 don't make me do this. I mean, I love you and I want to be close to God, but do not make me serve. They're helpful. Helpful meaning they get out of themselves, right? And they look to serve and and help others. Think about it. Do you hold the door for other people? Do you let other people go in front of you while you're driving? Happy people have a tendency to let, to serve, and to help others. Happy people find time to meditate and become mindful in their life. And that practice could be, you know, in just true meditation. It could be just finding a time to go on a walk and quietly listen without your headset in maybe. Meditation could also be anytime you're able to just actually become self-aware and recognize what part of the problem you are. They adopt mindfulness practices, which means they tend to introspect and look into themselves. 
Happy people eat well. When my family went out of town this weekend, uh, you know, let's just say I didn't eat so well. I mean, I ate great. But don't get me wrong. I ate out twice. Um, and then I went and bought – actually, my we had a pizza in my freezer and then I bought another one because my son was there. And I'm like, what do you want to eat? And he's like, pizza. And I'm like – in my head, I'm like, well, I just had pizza. But I love you so much. I'm just going to get another one for you because I care. See, because I'm a giver. I'm a giver. I will give you heart disease. That's how much I love you. Um, happy people eat well. Do you know certain things you just should not eat because it does not do your body good? It does not do the body good. And yet you still eat it. That's not going to make you happy. Oh, but it does, Matt. For, for that one, you know, 20-minute meal, oh, super happy. Yeah, and then when they're pumping my stomach, I don't feel so good. You don't eat so well, do you? Uh, yeah, sometimes we just need to know what makes us happy. And if we don't eat well, that's not going to help us, right? We've got to eat the good stuff, the healthy stuff. It doesn't mean you just have to go eat broccoli all day. But know what your body needs, right? There's nothing funnier than somebody that you know is like lactose intolerant or something. And they're like, yeah, I'm, yeah well, I'm just going to get this shake. I'm just going to get a shake. No big deal. Well, don't you have lactose intolerance? Yeah, yeah, whatever. I'll deal with it. Well, apparently we all will. But in the end... Maybe it's better to just eat well. Happy people socialize. Now, again, you can be an introvert, but you can still relate to other people. You can still make it easy for the people around you to develop a connection with you. Even if you're an introvert, you can still – you don't have to go hide away and make it impossible for anyone to get a hold of you. Happy people exercise. They work out regularly. They make it easy for other people to take care of their bodies as well. They exercise. They get out and they do what they need to do. The benefit of exercise, obviously, you're going to get endorphins. You're going to get dopamine. You're going to get a bunch of chemicals. It's going to feel good. You get more oxygen. Usually to exercise, you tend to get out of the house. I personally love to just go down into our storage room where we have a treadmill and just it's a dark hole and I just watch Netflix and suffer in quiet privacy. It's also the coldest room in the in the whole house. Uh Happy people tend to have goals, and they understand and realize their own purpose. They sit there and they work on their purpose in life. They know what their purpose is. So if I put a microphone right in your face and said, what is the purpose of your life? Why are you here on this great big ball of mud? What matters most to you? It's, uh, it's probably a pretty important thing to know. And the more you focus on it, the happier you can be. The more you know what your purpose is, it's going to make a difference. Happy people sleep. They get sufficient sleep. They allow the people around them to refresh their minds. They rest. You know, how many times have you had a weekend, a day of rest, and you didn't even rest? And last but not least, happy people smile. The research shows every time you smile, your brain produces the chemistry, the feel-good chemicals uh, that, that that make you happy. So if you need it, go get a dose of humor. Go watch your favorite show. Go... Go on YouTube and watch comedians. There's great opportunities today to get a little dose of happiness. The 12 steps to happiness, again, are thanks, experience, giving, hiking, helping, meditating, eating well, socializing, exercising, aiming, resting, and smiling, folks. That's the Coach's Corner. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to be getting into the idea of mental health and find out... uh, You know, we always hear people saying, oh, yeah, they just got mental health issues. 
We're going to be talking to an expert, Dr. Linda Templin, on the subject. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about uh, mental health today and and really want to get the, the true blue insights about mental health. There's so many, so many uh, stigmas out there. There's so many myths, I think, that uh, we may not really know what's going on. For example, you know, the recent plane crash in the French Alps, and remember there was some mental health issue attributed to the pilot that uh, flew the airplane into the mountain. There's been so much speculation about his depression and how that played such a major role in this. And again, we haven't heard all of the stories out of that, but we need more information. Instead of just throwing out, you know, a, a, an allegation about mental health, about the meds that somebody was taking, we really need to be clearer and understand better how mental disorders actually impact or even predict uh, future violence or future, um, you know, other issues that that might be impacting our community. So we've asked a, an expert on the subject to join us. Dr. Linda Teplin is a researcher that uh, has been researching about mental disorders and has learned from a recent study that uh, mental disorders do not necessarily predict future violence. She joins us now right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Teplin, thank you so much for being here with us. Oh, thank you, Matt. It really, I I have wanted to do this show for a long time, Linda, because we we throw out all these terms, anxiety, depression, uh, bipolar, you know, mood disorders, all these phrases, especially when we see a tragedy, a theater shooting like we heard in the news recently, or even the airplane crash. Talk to us as a professional, as a professor of psychiatry and behavioral science, teach us what what is mental health in relation to a cause for some of these stories we're hearing? Is there a correlation? Well, the public has a stereotype. There's a common stereotype that mental disorder, especially serious mental disorders, predispose, predispose people to perpetrate violence. Essentially, that stereotype is untrue. Hmm. Uh, people have Researchers have investigated this topic for years and years and years, and the only major link that comes up is when people with serious mental disorders, manic episode, schizophrenia, also have co-occurring substance abuse. Hmm. And so there, the interaction can predispose people to perpetrate violent acts, but even then, it's a very, very low risk. Mental disorder is simply a very poor predictor of the perpetration of violence. And it really we have found it, that it, in every study that we've conducted for the last 25 years or so. See, that is a myth that needs to be blown up then, huh? Because we just automatically think, oh, yeah, they're schizophrenic. Oh, okay, then they're going to be really dangerous. Well, and we also presume that violence can be predicted, mm. but in fact it's can't, it can't. It's like someone standing in the middle of a beach on a sunny day and trying to predict whether lightning will strike that day and where. <laughs> yeah, true. No, that's so, true because it's so situational, isn't it, based on 
timing situation, the person, the, 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 the situation that it's occurring in. Yeah, you can't predict that. And it's so unlikely. Typically, it's very difficult to predict rare events. They simply cannot be predicted because they're so idiosyncratic. Mm -hmm. I served on the National Academy of Sciences uh, review of the mass school shootings some years ago, and we concluded that those shootings just simply could not have been predicted because the characteristics of the shooters are so common that there would be so many false positives in terms of predicting which of those uh, literally millions of kids who had those characteristics, alienation, having been bullied, which of those characteristics, which of those kids, rather, would be the ones to become a shooter? It's simply not possible to predict uncommon events. So there's really two things I'm hearing. It's not possible to really predict it uh, because of the, it's just the variables are too varied. But it's also that when it comes to mental health or somebody that has a mental illness, it really there's such a low low uh um outcome of that person really being violent that it's it's not something that is a major worry it's it truly is not something that people should be concerned about because a they can't predict it as yeah. you just confirmed as well and b the risk is so low that it's not a group that one should really target You know, when you think about violence and the perpetration of violence, the groups one should worry about are not persons with mental disorder, but rather uh, young males. Because in this country, violence predominantly is perpetrated by young males. Yeah, I mean, not by people with serious mental disorders. And and it's interesting because we we don't. It's almost like we haven't openly communicated or understood enough about mental illness. So it's still kind of this looming thing that we don't discuss. I mean, I think most people get that most most violence is perpetrated by young males. And then all of a sudden we hear in a report, but this young male had schizophrenia or bipolar. And everyone's like, oh, there's the cause. And it's almost we, we need to break that down, don't you think? We need to get more information out to the people. Well, and those events are very dramatic. Yeah, they make the news, the, don't they? The situation in the Alps, very dramatic. Uh, the shooter at the movie theater, very dramatic. So that we keep in mind those events rather than the less dramatic events that comprise the majority of violence in this country, injury and homicide. Hmm. What does constitute mental illness? I mean, what, what, where is the level that we're saying, yeah, that's a mental illness? Well, I think when people speak of the link between psychiatric disorder and violence, and when researchers study it, they're not talking about traits of antisocial behavior, mm-hmm. because that is essentially, um, it's, it, it's, what is the word? It is um, tautological. But rather, people are concerned about serious mental disorders, such as uh, a manic episode, schizophrenia, those kinds of very major illnesses. Now, what's interesting is that the people have the stereotype of the link between violence and mental disorder until they have a family member exactly. with mental disorder. Yeah, that's right. And that just like in years past, people had stereotypes about gay people. Right. But those stereotypes uh, faded away as more and more people realized that they knew people and had family members who were gay. <laughs> so it's kind of so normalized it's, it, didn't it? 
it normalizes it exactly. And all and mental disorders are quite different. So for example, someone who has depression, it's fairly silly to think about the perpetration of violence because many people with that illness don't even have the energy to get <laughs> out right. of bed and get dressed. Yeah. Yeah, you, much the, less yeah. perpetrate an act of violence. The violence might have to happen on a couch watching a TV show. Exactly. That's so, an interesting I, point, though, isn't it? Because you're, again, we don't know it, but then all of a sudden we combine depression and some alcohol or anxiety and some alcohol or some other drug, and it, and it creates a different combination of a person. It's not even just a mental health issue anymore. Well, substance abuse is considered to be a psychiatric disorder, okay. but it's the combination of that yeah. with other serious mental disorders, for example, schizophrenia, that can cause people to tip over the edge. But again, if you looked at all of the uh, rates of injury and homicide in the U.S., people with severe mental disorders make up a teensy fraction mm -hmm. of that group. They're simply not re people with mental disorders are simply not responsible for uh, anything but a tiny proportion of violence in the U.S. We, uh, we're talking with, um, again, with Dr. Linda Teplin, who is a professor in psychiatry and behavioral sciences and medicine infectious diseases at Feinberg School of Medicine at uh, Northwestern. Um, is that right, Dr. Teplin? Yes, that's correct. Now, Northwestern. I did. Okay, that's great. And I think, as I think about this, um, part of it is it's almost like we don't we don't know what to call it, and like you said, when this when this incredibly large issue hits, and it's so impactful, and there's so much pain around it, we um, we just start throwing out stuff and and throwing out, you know, like we've got to do something with all the mental illness in this country, and and so so how do we handle it? It seems like an issue we don't even really understand. I mean, we, we as the general population. Well, I think the problem is that psychiatric disorders are greatly misunderstood. We have made administrative changes where, uh, as a result of deinstitutionalization, yeah. which was implemented partly because new, more humane treatments meant that people did no, no longer had to be hospitalized long-term, and also it saved money. But we have not provided the appropriate infrastructure within the community. So we have, unfortunately, in our cities, many people who are homeless and have schizophrenia who might have been given treatment in prior years but now no longer uh. are not. They are a highly visible minority and can be, if untreated, uh, can be a bit scary. And you For hear example, that. You hear that in the story. You hear that in these stories that parents have tried to institutionalize or parents have tried to legally do something to get some of these the, some of these people help and there was nowhere to go. Exactly, nowhere to go. And in fact, we've done many studies looking at kids in detention and adults in corrections, men and women, and we see that so many people who might have been treated in prior years instead are arrested Mm -hmm. or what are basically symptoms of their psychiatric disorders. Yeah, so now that we've made it a legal issue, not necessarily a mental health issue, yeah. It's exactly. We've turned uh, jails. I, I always say that jails are the new mental hospital. Oh, I, and again, and yeah. In fact, and Cook County, actually, people say that Cook County Jail 
and the L.A. County Jail are the largest mental hospitals in the country. Ugh. We're not we're not getting it, are we? Let's take a break. Um, we're talking with Dr. Linda Taplin, who, again, is a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Northwestern. And she's teaching us about mental health, mental illness, and, and the correlation, or actually non-correlation, I guess, of mental health and violence. Not everybody that has a mental health issue, which, by the way, is, you know, really high. We'll get to the numbers. I think it's about 20, 25 percent might have anxiety or depression. Um, but it, they don't all, folks, uh, necessarily, it's not leading to violence. These are just average people, everyday people. It's you, it's me, it's everyone in our family. Somebody's got it. We're trying to destigmatize mental health. We'll be right back. More with Dr. Linda Teplin right here on The Matt Townsend Show. everybody to the Matt Townsend show on the phone with us is Dr. Linda Teplin. She is a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Northwestern uh, University. And she's teaching us. She's filling us in basically on mental health and its impact. I think we're trying to blow up some myths. Not everybody with mental health is just going to go commit violence. In fact, the research shows very few uh, of those that are actually suffering from mental illness will will end up turning to violence. Dr. Linda Teplin, welcome back to the show, and thank you for being here. Oh, thanks. Great to be here, Matt. Talk to us about what percentage of people are suffering from mental illness of some sort. Well, it depends on what type of illness you're talking about. Uh, depression is fairly common, uh, 10, 20 percent. Schizophrenia, which is a very serious disorder, it's a thought disorder, hmm. is, uh, affects a little bit less than 1% of the general population. Uh, a large proportion of the population suffer from one or more mental disorders sometime during their life, whether it's depression, anxiety disorder, uh, perhaps PTSD, which is an anxiety disorder. So mental disorders aren't just them, it's us. Yeah. It's our families. It's our friends. So, it's us, isn't it? Hmm. It's us. Exactly. Which uh, means that maintaining the myth of the stereotype between mental disorder and violence is, is rather pointless. Well, you, and your, your, your research has validated that. It's just people with mental illnesses are not predisposed to go commit future violence. Exactly. We did a study actually uh, some years ago looking at people released from jail. And, of course, that's a population in general that is at high risk for uh, committing crimes and perpetrating violence, released jail detainees. But we investigated whether having a mental disorder made you even more likely to perpetrate violence when you were re-released. And there was no relationship at all. Oh, man. That's, so that, when you think about it, that's great news, isn't it? Yes. Well, it's great news because, but still, we, Blow up the myth. we haven't gotten the message out. Yeah. And that study was published, I would bet, in the 90s. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, I mean, just to think that our prisons are the new mental health facilities, 
I mean, because I, I I do a lot of work at our prison here in Utah, and I mean, everyone there they have anxiety disorders, attention deficit disorders. Most of them have some family of origin abuse issues, or a lot of them do, and a lot of them have um, uh, substance abuse issues. Which are which? When you think about it, every one of those are some category or some potential driver of mental illness. Yes, and what we also don't focus on is uh, the victimization of persons with severe mental illnesses. So we conducted a study several years ago, looking at the probability of people with mental disorders being victimized mm. versus perpetrating violence. And violence is it's just so uncommon, but violent victimization is very common. Wow. So That's they... a tragedy because, of course, since deinstitutionalization, people with major mental disorders now live in the communities. That's right. Where they are vulnerable to being victimized. It's interesting. So when you, if we went out and evaluated the victims of a lot of the crimes or murders in, you know, in the inner cities, or, I mean, a lot of them may be being victimized at the same time. And so it's funny, we report them as the mur- we're so afraid of the mental health, the mental illness driving a lot of the murders when in reality it's really probably causing a lot of the violence. It's 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 hurting the mentally ill much more than anyone else. We think of the link between mental disorder and violence only as they're being perpetrators, yeah. not as victims. That's right. Wow. Do we do we I mean, it's it. It seems like we made a decision that we're not we're no longer going to just have men, mental health institutions where we would put people away that were this one percent that was violent or whatever the numbers. It's even less than that, I'm sure. Um, but but it, we didn't have an answer for what we do with the rest that are struggling and that don't fit in. And what do we do about that? What's what would your academic view be? Well, I think we have to implement the programs in the community that were intended when deinstitutionalization was first implemented. And that means uh, proper support, proper treatments, uh, proper services. It means housing so that people with serious mental illnesses who do not have families to rely on will not be homeless. We've all stepped over uh, people who are squatting on a corner yeah. in our big cities who appear to be more disordered than disorderly. Mm-hmm. We have all done that. We have the ability to take care of this problem, but we have chosen not to. I'm, I'm always baffled that uh, somehow we don't appropriate funds for mental health treatment, but yet we appropriate funds to build more jails and prisons yeah. who are now increasingly housing people with severe mental illnesses. And then releasing them as if they were just a criminal instead of recognizing they have a time bomb that's going to bring them back or or kill them or create more victimization or Well, and the problem is it's not the fault of people who direct jails because jails don't choose who oh, comes right. to them. But And laws are laws. You can't keep them in there longer than they should be in there. But the problem is a failure of the mental health system. Uh, there's a lack of human communication so that when people are released from jails, they usually do not have an appointment at a community mental health center. They don't have support. They may not even have a place to sleep. But mm. they're released with a, uh, you know, a, a little money in their pocket yeah. and, a, and a bus pass. 
and that's it. So the cycle of disorder simply takes over. And then, and then we we see them, you know, begging for money on the side of the street, and some are out there thinking, "Get a job, get a job." And you're like, "It's not about." The, they would probably love to be able to get a job, but mentally, they may not be able to. Well, and I think no one can understand this unless they themselves or have had a family member with a psychiatric disorder especially one that is untreated. Mm -hmm. We have the technology to treat many, if not most, psychiatric disorders very successfully. But we need to implement that safety net so that people will receive treatment and not fall through the safety net into the jail. Man, you know, again, we're speaking with Dr. Uh, Teplin, Linda Teplin from Northwestern University, who is a scholar and has been studying the, the influence of serious mental illness and, um, and violence or, or propensity or tendency to, to act out violently. Uh, do, do we, are we getting better at this, Dr. Teplin, at being able to diagnose mental illness? It seems like many times it seems like it's kind of an art. I mean, I'm sure at your level, at, at the psychiatric level at a university hospital, it's, it's a pure science. But I know in certain communities, it's not the scientists that are diagnosing. Sometimes it's just... You know, a social worker that's not quite trained. I, I don't think diagnosis is the problem. I think the problem is the lack of available treatments and resources, hmm. uh, and especially within the community. You know, think about it. Years ago, the state hospitals were full, full. We had thousands and thousands of people in state hospitals. We now have almost no one in right. state hospitals. So where have they gone? They've gone to the community, yeah. but have we really provided sufficient services within the community? I think not. No. Have we provided sufficient housing in the community? I think not. So we have really failed in the way we have implemented deinstitutionalization. Mm. What What does the future look like? How do we... I mean, I, I guess it's we've got to get legislators more involved in recognizing the problem. I, I eventually, I guess, start creating, you know, certain uh, maybe bringing back to some degree institutions that aren't necessarily jails but are more designed for mental health and mental illness, uh, I don't know, support. We don't have to do that. There's no reason to do that with the technology. We have – so many good medications to treat even severe mental disorders, you know, depression, yeah. bipolar disorder. But we need to provide the safety net of services for people who have these illnesses. There, Some... We need to provide uh, one-on-one support if necessary if people don't have families. We have the technology to diagnose. Yeah. We have the technology to treat. The issue is one of lack of treatment and lack of services. I'm hopeful, actually, that the new health care act will help with a lot of that. So that is the way for me to to stay optimistic. Yeah, because, I mean, if if we could do that and create a space where they can land and be safe so that they're not being victimized because of their mental health and then uh, get them in for consistent, you know, know, regulated – visits with doctors so they're getting medicated and and even maximizing the use of the medication that's powerful that could change 
a lot. And in a weird way, think of that, that that seems like that would also free up some homeless people that are in homeless situations. Uh, also, it would probably free up prisons. So we might be able to save money there. I mean, the, there's it's there. And if not, it seems like we're just going to keep seeing the occasional tragic story of violence being perpetuated somewhere and then yeah. blamed on mental illness. Yes. Well, and I think also, though, uh, we keep using the term they. It is not they. Right. It is us. Because everyone, it, mental disorder is so common that everyone has either experienced it or has a family member with it. Mm. But we need to address especially people with severe mental disorders who do not have family who can help them uh, get treatment, stay in treatment, obtain medications, because we have the technology. Yeah. We have to implement it so that we do not have an underclass of poor people who have serious, untreated psychiatric disorders. What would you recommend to the rest of us? Because if it is a problem of us, not they, what can we be doing with our family members that, and how can we be of better service to them to make sure they get the resources, that they're not being hurt or abused, that they're not able to, to, you know, that they're not lost in the cracks? What should we be doing with our family members, our close ones? I think to try to dispel the stereotypes of psychiatric disorder, to um, counsel your kids in terms of blame. Yeah. So the terrible event in the Alps wasn't because this guy had a psychiatric disorder. It was because he was, you know, clearly a person with homicide in his heart. Yeah. The psychiatric disorder had no, uh, had really had very little to do with it, nor could it have been predicted. Right. So I think that the messages here are one of acceptance and realize, realizing that psychiatric disorder is not a strong predictor at all of the perpetration of violence. And, and, and in fact, many times it seems like it's the opposite of that. Exactly. It's like it's more the it's more of maybe a predictor of you know uh, a lack of action at all. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Wow. It really is. I think it's such an important topic, and I appreciate you joining us because you know we throw the words around, we hear everybody jump on it, you know. But months now past those tragedies and the airline tragedy in the Alps, we just we didn't move any. We didn't move the ball at all. We're we're nowhere closer to having a solution. And unfortunately, when we think about those terrible incidents, all we think about is, uh, oh, my God, there was this crazy guy who shot up the movie theater. Oh, my God, there was this crazy guy who flew the plane into the Alps. And then somehow we generalize from, quote, that crazy guy, Mm -hmm. unquote, and I'm using that term purposely, pejoratively, to uh, people in the community who are struggling with psychiatric disorders the same way people in the community struggle with cancer or any other medical malady. Psychiatric disorders are a medical disorder and one that is almost always treatable with the current technologies we have. You you can't treat it if you're not aware of it and if you're not in there dealing with it. Yes. That's it. I, I appreciate it. I, I really do. And, and just the idea, again, like you said, of just acceptance and blowing up the myths and creating a little more compassion around it instead of just, you know, kind of an, uh, in, I don't know, just a stigma of, ugh, they're messed right. up. Well, I've often talked to people where 
uh, they talk about the perpetration of violence by a person with serious mental disorder. And then in the next paragraph, they're talking about their great, their great aunt Margaret, <laughs> yeah. who suffered from depression exactly. for years. And yeah. not realizing the contradiction no. in that. That's it. Well, you're great. Keep up the great work there, and uh, we'll fix this. We'll just, we're going to keep talking about it as healthy as we can, but we need, we need smart people like you that can help us understand it. Well, thank you so much, Matt. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. You too. And keep up the good work at Northwestern as well and in Cook County. Keep changing Cook County as well. Oh, you know, Cook (laughs) County, we study because they're typical. Yeah. Not Not because they're, yeah, they're not different. Um, They're not strange. They're the average. Um, exactly. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's the same nationwide. No, it is. It is. And, that, and Cook County is a really big facility, a big, really big conglomerate of, of uh, average, I guess. Yes. Well, we appreciate you. Go, uh, go make a difference. Linda Teplin, Linda Teplin again from the University of Northwestern University, doing what she can. Folks, when we get into this, this isn't an easy solution, but throwing a myth or throwing some language out there about mental health and mental illness is the cause of all of this. It's just, it's not going to work. You're not going to create complex solutions by just having such simplistic thinking. Uh, These are people. These are you. This is me. This is grandma. These are friends. And we got to care enough to get closer to them instead of just, you know, running away from it. We'll take a break. Stick with us, friends. We'll come back, do more uh, uh, on Coach's Corner up next, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program, folks, to give you the tools you need to live and make it through this crazy thing called life. You know, it's not an easy uh, it's not an easy task. And so we want to uh, you know, give you the tools to live longer and love stronger and lead a healthier life and lead the people in your life. Uh, welcome to the program. Today we got a great show. We're going to be talking about codependence. Now, you've probably heard that term thrown around. Maybe your spouse once said, oh, they are so codependent, talking about a friend, you know, and their spouse. Codependence, what is it? It's such a tricky, tricky thing. But we will be talking with Dr. Sean Byrne about it. She wrote an article, Are You in a Codependent Relationship? Let me give you an example, one that came up uh, today. And um, you may have heard just out in you know the news, the Greeks, that they voted no to bailout terms. Okay, so... Greece is in trouble financially. They owe billions of dollars. I think like a uh, 250, I think billion dollars. They owe a lot of money, and they owe it to a lot of different people. The World Bank. They owe it to uh, the the European Union, of which they're a part. And in fact, there's only 11 million Greeks, I believe, on Greece. On the and the dilemma, they they they're in trouble. They need a bailout. They need somebody to help them reorganize and 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 you know push some solution so they can get out of debt. Well, the people that were helping them do that 
are basically they they had to vote. The Greeks needed to vote to decide if they were going to follow the plan of the European Union to help bail them out. And a, a vote of 61% of the Greeks voted no. Nope, not going to do it. But there's been a really weird relationship between the Greeks and the European Union, because the European Union does not want a country to fall out of favor and eventually leave the Union, because that would be the first and might be the first of many. So, you know, the European Unions want to keep the Greeks in, but the Greeks are in financial trouble and don't necessarily want to keep having to, they want somebody to help take care of their debt. By definition, folks, that's a codependent relationship. It's a country. It's a codependent country relationship. And so it's a very, very basic idea. But we do that just like the European Union might help the Greeks more than they should have. And the Greeks needed the help, but now they've got an enemy in the Union, and the Union is trying to help, and it creates this really unhealthy relationship. That same problem can also exist in your marriage. It can exist in your parenting relationship. Have you ever kept giving your children money when they weren't learning the lesson? And you made it so they never had to actually face the predicament of, you know, having financial problems because you didn't want them to fail. So you just gave them a little more money. You just kept bailing them out. And, you know, they played on your love and you played on the need to serve and help. And it was a really unhealthy pattern. Dr. Sean Burns is going to join us in just a few minutes. She's going to walk us through this relationship. Now, you got to be careful what you call codependent, but uh, it's kind of the healthy, sick pattern. And uh, it takes place in a lot of our, 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 our more dysfunctional relationships. We'll be getting into that a little bit later. Also, uh, later in the hour, we're going to go do one of our segments called The Good in the World, Seeing the Good in the World. Kathy Aiken goes out and helps us find really good examples of people that are changing the world. But before we get to any of that, let's get to our headlines with Kathy Aiken. Kathy? Good morning, Matt. After Greece voted against bailout demands from European creditors, fear of uncertainty has been felt here at home. Major American stock markets opened lower this morning with the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropping 140 points while the Nasdaq Composite lost 47 points. The European Central Bank's Governing Council is set to meet today to discuss emergency lending options for Greece. South Carolina's General Assembly returns today, and one of the hot topics will be what to do with a Confederate flag. Governor Nikki Haley asked for its removal from the state capitol after a gunman killed nine black people in a Charleston church last month. Among the topics for debate is whether or not to put another flag in its place and what kind of ceremony should take place if the flag is removed. A two-thirds vote is required under state law to change the flag's position. After a heartbreak four years ago, the U.S. women's soccer team beat defending champion Japan last night 5-2, winning their third World Cup title. That's the most ever for a women's team. Average two-inch height advantage over Japan. Played in short on the ground. Quick shot. That was Carly Lloyd's third goal in 16 minutes last night, the first hat trick in the Women's World Cup. Lloyd won the golden ball given to the tournament MVP. For 35-year-old veteran Abby Wambach, it was a great way to cap her final World Cup tournament. 
Outrage continues after a 32-year-old woman was shot and killed at the San Francisco Pier last week. The man accused of the shooting, Francisco Sanchez, has seven felony convictions and was deported five times back to Mexico. Francisco admitted to the shooting in court and said he wants the punishment he deserves as soon as possible. Florida officials are looking into the death of a five-year-old girl who was killed recently by a sturgeon. The girl's mother and older brother were also injured when the sturgeon jumped out of the water and hit them in their boat on the Sewanee River. Sturgeon can leap more than seven feet out of the water and can be eight feet long and weigh hundreds of pounds. And Matt, I know this is on your bucket list. I'm oh pretty boy. certain it is. Yeah, because you're, you're in really Sturgeon, good shape. So that's no, crazy. Okay. Thousands of people helped yeah. kick off Pamplona's running of the bulls this oh, morning. Oh, man. Yeah, aren't you, I know you're ready. You've got your kind of red on. <laughs> that's what they wear, the red, you know. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, they're going to have bull runs every morning until July 14th, so you still have time. <laughs> And they suggest, this really just great suggestion, that the runner should be in top physical condition. Yeah, oh yeah. No, really? Uh-huh. Seriously? I'd make sure you have traction shoes, that you've got a <laughs> no, lot I of traction. I thought you should be about 100 pounds overweight and not being able to run anywhere. Uh, yeah. I'd make sure you're also insured. Very, very good I'd point. bring a neck brace. Yes. And I would probably and have the last will and testament. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to go this year to do it, but with the plantar out, that you know. Too, I knew. I knew you could have an excuse. Uh, I'm thinking, do I go sturgeon fishing? <laughs> is that weird? That is the craziest I, thing because they are huge. After I saw that story, I, I looked it up on YouTube, and yeah. there was one that they said was 1,000 pounds. Yeah. And you could only see it kind of from the bottom down. It almost looked like a shark. The no, shape they, of it? Yeah, they did. It was huge. They do. But can they're, you imagine that poor little girl just sitting there? Uh, and it, I didn't know. That, I don't know. I didn't know they breach or whatever they call that. Yeah, I didn't know they fly, fly out, out of the water. water. And all of them. The brother broke the brother's arm, and the mother has to have some facial plastic surgery. Crazy story. Very that is sad. that is tragic. And yes. you see those fish. Have you ever seen the fish? Like in the south, like probably like Louisiana, where they jump, they end up jumping the minute the they hear the noise. Yeah, and they but those startle. are small. Yeah, those are tiny, but. I mean, if you've ever been up and seen the sturgeon, they're huge. huge. They're they're like whales, but fish. But yeah, like, that's crazy. People, uh, I wonder what makes them jump. Do you have you ever heard? Uh. Uh-uh. Yeah, that's just. Cra- I've never heard of anything like that's, that. I mean, honestly, that's it. Reminds me of the movie we saw, Jurassic World. Oh, did you see it? Haven't and they seen have it yet. a dinosaur fish that jumps out of the water, and it's pretty traumatic. Yeah. So let's just hope that you know sturgeon are like dinosaurs. I think there's like – I mean they've been around a long, long, long time. Yeah. I had no idea they were that That's big. crazy. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to do the running of the bulls. Maybe next year? Um, Let's get your planter all healed up and maybe yeah, um, yeah. You know, would get some money. Yeah. And It'll probably take two years there. because two you, years. I, I want – I don't want to like when, – when you're running for your life, uh-huh. you'd blow everything you got. So I don't want to get my plantar healed and then go blow my plantar again. So No. That's probably the least of your worries. I think – wouldn't it be – honestly, I think I would rather just stand and cross a major freeway. You probably have a better chance of surviving yeah. that. Yeah. Because, I mean, at least a car is fairly predictable. <laughs> I mean, you can – I mean, it can only do so much. But a bull? I don't know about you. I watch these people and I think, I think you are crazy. crazy. Like get a job. Insane. How do you do That's this? That's probably why they're there. They don't have jobs. That's it. That's, That's they the, They're unemployed. <laughs> Hey, I'm gonna, hoping for some uh, disability you're gonna go get a job, Mom, something. I can't get a job until I go do the running of the bulls. <laughs> that is crazy. I've never, I've never been drawn to that. I, I think it's just that I love life. I love my body without a bunch of horn pokes in it. Crazy. 
Crazy stuff. Uh, We're going to take a break, my friends, and come back with Dr. Sean Byrne. She's going to help us through what a healthy, helping relationship looks like. You got to be careful because sometimes your help actually disables the people around you. And you don't want to help them to their own demise, right? We want to lift people and help them become functional. So codependent relationships, that's the next topic. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Today we're talking about healthy helping. You know, uh, you, you can help somebody, right? And and you can actually do it to their detriment. When your helping no longer helps and you keep needing to help again and again and again and again and again because they're just not changing, they're not growing, then you may be in what we call a codependent relationship. And, you know, an example of a codependent relationship may be many of our superheroes that we see on TV or we watch. You know, they're, they're not always the best candidate maybe for healthy relationships. Now, hear me out on this. Don't judge me. There is such a thing as unhealthy helping, and our next guest, Dr. Sean Burns, is going to be talking to us about it. But one example is when one partner is constantly in need of rescuing, constantly the victim, and the other partner is constantly rescuing them, perpetuating further victim-like behavior. So if I'm the rescuer and you're the needy one, for example, Lois Lane and Superman, you know, if Lois Lane didn't have Superman, she'd be dead. She'd be dead. Survival of the fittest. But when it comes to our own marriages, our own relationships with our kids, we get into this unhealthy pattern and you may have heard of it. It's called codependence, but it's bigger than that. It's just about how to go about helping people in a healthier way. Joining us today to talk about unhealthy helping is Dr. Sean Byrne, professor of psychology at California Polytechnic State University and also a blogger. Um, and we're, we're going to figure out, pick her brain to find out how to be a healthier helper. Dr. Sean Byrne, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, thank you for having me on. Good morning to you and all of your listeners. Great to have you. And teach us about this. Um, you wrote a book about healthy helping. Teach us, why Why did you get into this subject? You know, of all the things you could study in psychology, how did you get into healthy helping? Well, in some ways, I felt called to write this book. A lot of people were talking to me about their helping and giving problems, and I found available materials were too narrowly focused on codependence to be relevant to a lot of people, and they also weren't well-grounded, excuse me, my throat, in psychological theory and practice. Um, and I really believe in helping and giving. It's one of people's more redeeming qualities, yeah. and it it's uh, beneficial for individuals and groups and society, and I, I wanted to help people get it right so that their helping is truly helpful and healthy for other people and themselves, their relationships, and their groups. And I'm a helpful person myself. (laughs) I wanted to alleviate the suffering of the many good-hearted people I saw challenged by their helping and their giving. Well, and I think that's, I think it's so needed because we want to help, and sometimes we don't know how to do it, and in, in the very act of doing it, we end up 
uh, hurting or harming or, or, or perpetuating the pattern. In your article, um, Are You in a Codependent Relationship?, you, um, you defined codependent this way. You prefer to think of it as this way. If, let me make sure I get it right, and then I, I'd love you to teach us about it. A codependent relationship is a specific type of dysfunctional helping relationship. Broadly speaking, in dysfunctional helping relationships, one person's help supports or enables the other person's underachievement, irresponsibility, immaturity, addiction, procrastination, or poor mental or physical health. So my help enables you to underachieve, be irresponsible, immature, addict, maintain addictions. That's how you see an unhealthy. That's how you would define an unhealthy relationship. Well, an unhealthy I would also helping. Distinguish, yeah, I would also distinguish between um, codependence and other unhealthy helping. I mean, uh, co- codependence and codependent relationships sort of kick it up a notch, and there's. Um, a, a particular uh, there, there's a depth to the degree of um, in enmeshment. I mean the 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 truth is that we can all inadvertently end up in a relationship where our help ends up enabling or our help so, or someone uses our help and giving not to move forward in their lives but but rather to remain stagnant and avoid. Um, the 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 hard job of being being an adult or um, be, being being responsible. I mean, we you you know we can't always tell um, how our help will be used, right, and, right. and sometimes uh, uh, one uh, gesture uh, morphs uh, into um, an unintended long term obligation. You know, and uh, most of us. Uh, codependent or not, will stumble into relationships with people that might take advantage of us. Um, you know, and so so it, you know we can also unexpectedly find that our health enables dependence or irres- irresponsibility, and not be classically um, co- co- codependent. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, and I just wanted to to clarify about clarify yeah. that. You know, I'm I'm. I'm actually a little bit uneasy about the codependence like the, uh, notion, even though I have blogged about it and talk about it throughout. Um, yeah, because it's easy to make another stigma, work. right? We could just keep throwing that at at every problem or helping relationship. Exactly. Exactly. I, d- I don't like that we always reduce unhealthy helping to codependence. Um, it's it's a lot more complicated than that, and there there actually are multiple causes. Uh, and uh, explanations for why we end up in such relationships and why we sometimes stay. But that said, you know there 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 are uh, people that um, uh, help as an extreme sport. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're and, professional. Uh, yeah, yeah, and have a long-standing pattern of persisting in their helping and and giving in high cost. And I guess in because it, it can go both ways, right? It could be the helper that's perpetuating the unhealthy relationship because it gives them something, or it could be the the one in need of help that keeps perpetuating it. But it's a system. Yes, I, I think that's a, a good a good point. You know, like the old saying goes, "takes two to to tango." And it is interesting that you know our help can create a 
sort of a self-perpetuating dysfunctional helping cycle where our help actually promotes the need for more help, you know, when, mm-hmm. you know, when it does enable someone's, um, for example, their incompetence, you know. Yeah. Um, try, trying to be helpful, you know, you can actually interfere with someone's, the development of someone's age-appropriate skill. Oh, yeah. Parents enabling their children, for example. When you see that, a lot of times you'll see situations where, you know, ch- children have to keep going home to mom or dad to to fix their problems. They can't, you know, they can't necessarily keep a job. I mean, we've had situations or discussions on the show about students' parents on the university campus are still, you know, fighting their battles with faculty over what was yes. expected on a test. Yes. Yes, but but I I do think that um, well one of the things I'm up to with with the the book is trying to help people um, find that sort of helping sweet spot you know um, and, and learn how le- learn the difference between healthy and unhealthy helping um, and then also provide them with some tools for um, uh, getting out of unhealthy helping situations and. Um, for addressing the things that underlie their unhealthy helping. Yeah. What um, I think is is so important, and I like how careful you are, because none of this, I mean, we, we don't ever start conscientiously thinking, yeah, I'm going to manipulate the other into this crazy pattern that makes them need me. Um, mm-hmm. But what we, what we do, though, is it's, I think it's just important to know that people need to grow, right? They need to... They need to learn independence, and our ultimate goal of helping anybody would be able to make them free of needing help constantly. Exactly, and and you're right. Healthy helping um, is a it's usually temporary, and it's a stepstone to self reliance, or it you know is is helping someone out of a um, you know, I mean you know bad things happen to, to good people and we all need a helping hand. You know, it's often um, appropriate um, and uh, uh, a, a signal of good good values and uh, a good person, you know, to um, a- aid someone who's uh, in, a, in a predicament. Mm. But, um, yeah, the unhealthy helping um, has some particular hallmarks. It does foster dependence, irresponsibility, and competence or poor character. Um, it's continuing to help someone that's violated lots of agreements and bailouts and hasn't used the help to do as promised. It's help or giving that helps someone to um, become stuck in an yeah. um, age-inappropriate earlier stage of development or, or prevents them from developing needed life or job skills. Um, it's helping that requires your dishonesty or compromises your integrity. Um, it's um, unsustainable. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, you, you know, can't it, keep it up. I mean, eventually yeah, you it, can it, tell because the wheels yeah. are starting to fall off of it, right? And there's no... Yes, exactly. Yeah, your your physical or mental health, your self-respect, your financial well-being. Um, yes, yes. And, it's, um, and a lot of times you see this is tied and connected to... Um, it's tied and connected to alcoholism or other or other issues potentially where or, or drug addictions or uh, abuse where it just you just see it's not going to happen. On, that's all on the extreme side. Again, we're talking with Dr. Sean Byrne 
um, a professor of psychology at California Polytechnic State University. We're going to take a break, come back, and uh, we're going to have uh, Dr. Sean Burns teach us more about what we can do to be a healthy helper. And, and what are some ways that we can kind of turn this around a little bit and start helping the people we really care about and make sure we're doing it in a way that uh, is healthy and, and fosters independence and, and is more principle-oriented, maybe. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us. the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about healthy healthy helping and um, unhealthy helping. It's, it's a healthier, I think, term and I think way to look at many of our relationship uh, dysfunctions. There's one that's called codependence that you've heard about a lot, which is simply where the way I help you tends to keep you dysfunctional and your dysfunction demands that I keep helping. And, you know, I be I serve you to your demise and you use me to mine. And we, we, you know, we both spin together. It's painful. And if you've seen it in your family, if you've seen it in your relationships, it tends to, you know, be around a lot of other dysfunctions, it seems like. And Dr. Sean Byrne is joining us. She is a professor of psychology at California Polytechnic State University and uh, is also a blogger uh, for Psychology Today and has, has a wonderful blog there that, that, and wrote an article uh, on this subject entitled, Are You in a Codependent Relationship? Dr. Sean Byrne, thanks for joining us. Are you there? Glad to be here. Good. Yes, hello. You bet. Oh, I got you. Yeah, we can hear you fine. So talk to us, uh, Dr. Burns. What What would you say uh, are, are the ways that we can cr- make sure that we are being healthier? Let's say we were in uh, one of these unhealthy helping relationships, possibly codependent, but we were spinning. You know, they needed us and I needed them. And what could we do to actually start to pull ourselves out of that spiral? Yes, and again, I want to clarify, uh, um, we can all uh, inadvertently end up enabling someone, because again, we can't, um, yeah, it, we can't always predict how our, that someone will use our help in that way, uh-huh. uh, and um, sometimes uh, we, the, the way we help um, can end up enabling someone, so it's not doesn't always, even if you're in a relationship where you suspect you're enabling someone, that doesn't necessarily mean you're codependent. We, we generally would reserve that moniker uh, for someone who has a personal history of um, many high-cost, one-sided relationships. Yeah. I just wanted to... That's kind of an extreme clarify. diagnosis, right? So you, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think it doesn't resonate with a lot of people for that For yeah. that reason but um and i like that yes. i like that safety yes. because we yeah we don't that's a real i mean it's a real technical diagno, diagnosis and you don't 
you don't want to throw that around lightly, except in the end, sometimes just casual, we could just be casually being a little more enabling than maybe we ought to. And if we see that happening, what uh, what are some things that we could do, whether on either side of the equation, if somebody is kind of, uh, you know, if if they're making it hard for you to progress or if, you know, if somebody obviously needs you too much? Yeah, and I think, too, we should acknowledge just how difficult it, it can be to set boundaries yeah. around our helping. Uh, um, you know, it, it, when we're observing someone else who's enabling someone, for instance, it, it can feel easy to um, ju- judge them and say, why don't they just set boundaries? Mm-hmm. Uh, they need to withdraw that, that help. But relationships are complicated, and um, there are often uh, things things keeping us in the unhealthy helping relationship. And if the other person's dependence on us is profound and they um, are addicted or have a psychiatric uh, illness um, uh, or our enabling has promoted their immaturity and incompetence, you know, there, there can be legitimate concerns about what's going to happen when we withdraw our help. And, and people... Most people who get into these situations are very good-hearted, kind people who subscribe to helping values. You know, um, they uh, it's prescribed by their culture, their religion, and they're 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 good they're they're good people, and that brings ambivalence too because um, they they believe in being helpful. So right, um, it is it is complicated. Now now in my book I do talk about um, I have a whole chapter on how to how to set set boundaries and also talk a lot about these, this type of ambivalence. And uh, um, uh, one, one thing that, that helps is um, to really recognize uh, just uh, what, what you're doing uh, um, and the harms of your helping. That, that helps sort of offset some of the ambivalence you might have about setting boundaries um, because um, we you know, when you really think about it, you'll realize in the long run you're not being helpful, you know. So yeah. if, you're, if your goal truly is to be helpful, um, you know, you're, you're not doing that. So it's, it's good, to, good to recognize that just uh, how many harms there, there are, including to our relationships, because that's another thing about unhealthy helping. It, usually you start to see um, resentment on the part of the helper and sometimes resentment on the part of the helped because they resent the dependency. Yeah. Um, and um, it makes them, your your competence and your extreme helping sometimes makes people feel bad about themselves uh, and um, uh, need to diminish you to um, reduce their dissonance about your, your helping. So it usually has some pretty bad relationships, relationship effects and, in the long, in the long run. Well, that's so. actually that's a great. So, if if you see a lot of uh, tension and frustration coming out of this type of giving relationship um, or dysfunctional giving relationship, yeah, it's another red flag. Yeah, it's another red flag of of unhealthy. And I mean, healthy. that's important because if if you a lot of us would say, well, God wants us to serve. Well, he does. He also wants it to be healthy, right? So let's healthy. Let's serve in a healthy way. Not and so if exactly. you're seeing the tension, don't just keep, don't just keep assuming that serving equals good because unhealthy helping exactly. doesn't equal good. Exactly. Yeah, you're sort of uh, missing 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 the point, and that's another signal of unhealthy helping too. Is sometimes the person is um, 
remains committed to it because it does make them feel like a good person, yeah. you know, or um, look like a good person within their um, community yeah. um, because helping is, is valued. And, and again, that's not, uh, you know, like, you know, uh, what, what you're saying, what, what God intends um, yeah. us to, to do. I, I think, too, it's also important to recognize that um, most people who get in these situations are extremely empathic individuals. I mean, these are, like I said, kind, good-hearted people who um, empathize with the suffering of other other people. Uh, but it gets them into big trouble because, you know, people that are very empathic um, sympathize so much that they feel others' pain, and then they rush to do something about it to rescue, to alleviate uh, their own distress as well as the other person's distress. And so they, uh, um, you know, will, prov- will you know, provide immediate try to provide solutions in that moment that will make everyone feel better but not aren't necessarily um, su- sustainable or um, helpful in the long run. Right. So uh, many of us need to learn how to sit with our alarm regarding other people's dilemmas long enough to make a rational decision about whether we should honor our impulse to help. Hmm. Um, and, and sit. And, I mean, I guess, and evaluate. When you say sit with our yeah, alarm, let yes. I mean, let our let our own awareness and even empathy work us a little bit more to not just react and help. Exactly, because sometimes in that moment, that impulsive offer of help, we end up regretting later, and um, it's not the type of help that's needed, or help isn't needed at all. I mean. Others, you know, when other people are telling us of their troubles or are in predicaments, they don't always seek our rescuing or our advice or our intervention. Sometimes they just um, need some support yeah. in that moment, emotional support, or a few problem-solving suggestions, you know. And, and you know, a, a lot of people with unhealthy helping problems, too, offer help that's not really needed. And that, that creates relationship problems, too. People don't appreciate um, in most cases, unsolicited yeah. uh, advice or or help. We think we're being helpful, but we're not. And then we're unhappy um, because they're not following our <laughs> advice. Well, yeah, you know what? It's a parenting relationship. I see that so many times where uh, you know, a child can't tie their shoes or, or they, they don't tie them quickly enough and a mom or dad jumps on it, gets that shoe tied, and um, does it every time. I mean, you're, eventually you're just going to have an 18 year old boy with Velcro shoes, and <laughs> you're, I mean, you're not yeah. helping at some point. And then they're mad. They're mad that they don't know how to tie their shoe. You're mad that they don't know how to tie their shoe. And yeah. um, and then uh-huh. all of a sudden the relationship struggles. Yeah, I, I think that um, you're, you're right about that too. Sometimes people don't recognize um, that they have such high standards and so they they'll jump in to they'll jump in because they can't stand to watch someone do something uh, inefficiently or uh, um, not the or not to the level they think it should be done and so they think they're being helpful but 
they end up promoting someone else's incompetence. Yeah. And, and two, you know, you might think, oh, I, you know, my child, for example, needs to um, have this standard of living or get into this school or what, what, what have you. Um, other, other people are sometimes comfortable um, under conditions that we might not be, and so our health is unwelcome and experienced as controlling. Oh, yeah. Um, which is ironic because... Of course, we expect our health to bring us closer to people, and um, some unhealthy. That's another signal of unhealthy helping is it, it often doesn't. Hmm. You know, um, it's so complicated, and, and yet it is, isn't it? That, that's why you just can't throw the diagnosis out. Like, I mean, to everyone, yeah, you're just codependent because yeah, it's there's just variations it of it. There's degrees of it, and some of it's probably natural. You know, in some parenting situations to you know, maybe cut their food, cut your child's food up more, you know, when they're, you know. It, it, well, exactly. And that that's the thing, too, as far as parents are concerned. I mean, um, some people seem to, like, fail to make the transition from one um, developmental stage to another, you know, depending on your child's age. Dependence uh, in some regards is entirely appropriate, you know, but it has an expiration date, like you said, the tying the shoes things, for example, that has an expiration date, you know, um, and so it's, it's unhealthy to consider, to continue certain types of parental helping past that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would... Oh, oh go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to... Well, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, you know, too, that, you know, so there there are other things, too, that people do. I I. I I think people need, in addition to realizing their empathy can be a two-edged sword and, um, you know, becoming more clear on, you know, the fact that helping and giving can be uh, harmful under certain situations. There there are other things, too, like people um, need to recognize that being a good man or a woman or a member of your culture um, shouldn't mean being a doormat, because I, I, I think that's another piece here that sometimes our dysfunctional helping and giving is the result of over-enacting gender norms or cultural norms that call for service to other people, and you mentioned that a second ago. You know, to some people, you know, in our efforts to be good members of our religion or good members of our community, we twist and twirl these pro-social helping norms that usually serve the group and its members um, we, into a belief that we have to engage in self-sacrifice. Yeah. Self-sacrifice in the service of other people's manufactured needs, you know, needs that wouldn't exist were it not for um, their own choices or our enabling. And so, um, you know, some of us need to, you know, learn how to more finally discriminate between positive pro-social norms um, and the, and negative dysfunctional um, helping because we, being a good man or woman or member of our culture or group shouldn't be contingent upon us, um, you know, sacri- sacrificing entirely, sacrificing our our ourselves. Yeah. You know. Um, now, now another another very big thing here too is, um, and and this is where there's a kernel of truth really to the codependence notion, um, and and that is that you know um, many, many people who have uh, consistent dysfunctional helping and giving issues. Um, have are are serving unconscious emotional needs, 
Um, so on the face of it, they would say, and uh, it might appear that they're helping and giving is generous and other serving, but it's um, sometimes motivated by a desire to feel good about ourselves, to atone for our past sins, to reduce our own discomfort, to mm. enhance our public image, um, to get and stay close to others. You know, you know, for example, some parents enable their young adult children because they don't want to lose them. You know, yeah. as long as the child is dependent on them, um, they will always have a relationship with them. You know, so um, there, there are cases where um, we're serving our un- uh, sometimes unconscious uh, uh, needs. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that it's bad to help because you get something out of it, but, um, you know, um, but sometimes those emotional issues can drive us yeah. uh, to unhealthy helping. And so... And not even you know, be really... You're not even trying to be a healthy person. You're just fitting... You're, you're, you're fulfilling these hidden needs... Uh, yes. it's, so it's really and not from, even about the other person. Yeah, and and so you know the truth is that a lot of people need counseling to yeah. address the emotional issues that underlie their dysfunctional helping, so that when they do help, their help is indeed helpful, and they're helping for healthy reasons, and they're actually helping. Yeah, you know. Doctor um, Burns. Other- oh, what I was going to say is, we have about a minute left. What would you say is the one thing? that we might want to remember that might make the biggest difference to make sure that our helping is healthy helping instead of unhealthy helping? That is um, a million-dollar question. Um, <laughs> the money but, question. But again, yeah, yeah help, helping and giving our good, and it's, it's good to help regularly and with an within open heart, you know, hoping and expecting the best, but, but keeping your eyes open so that you can back off when the signs of dysfunctional helping and giving are revealed. I mean, giving too little is as bad as giving too much. You just have to avoid certain types of helping and be willing to pull back, Mm. you know, when you have evidence that your help is unhealthy. Um, And some people may benefit from counseling, and uh, um, some people may benefit from codependent support groups. Yeah. well, um, uh, yeah, and, and my book is full of uh, tools, um, uh, ways to help get a handle on your unhealthy helping. Yeah, in um, fact, the name of the book is Unhealthy Helping, uh, or Unhealthy Helping, A Psychological Guide to Overcoming Codependence, Enabling and Other Dysfunctional Giving. Uh, that is uh, a, an ebook, a Kindle version of it. Again, Dr. And available on uh, iBooks, too, and uh, Nook, and um, yeah. Doc- uh, Kobu. Okay, great. It's all it's out there everywhere. Dr. Sean uh, Burns, we appreciate you. Uh, interesting. A complicated topic, isn't it? And yet, it sounds like what we need to be is just aware. Be aware of how we're helping. And is our helping really helping? Do we see that it's enabling or is it just or is it strengthening? Is it making somebody more powerful, more able, more independent, more free to exercise their own agency? Interesting stuff. We'll take a break when we come back, do a quick coach's corner on uh, these unhealthy relationships. Up next, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. 
You know, that idea of unhealthy helping, it's real. It's everywhere, right? It's, it's in our marriages. It's in our families. A lot of us, we, we, there's power. There's power when we can help. And again, we don't want to question if you're a good person. It's not about that. But there's a point, and we've talked about it on the show a lot with hovering parents, you know, helicopter parenting, the, um, the inability to, to let your children go. And we've joked about it on this very campus where we'll have faculty who will still be interacting with parents on their children's grades. Now, that makes sense. You know, if a child was involved in an accident and parents are just trying to save the semester. But at some point, folks, I believe a major purpose for our being on this great big ball of mud we call Earth is growth. It's development. And if, you're a, if you are a parent who is going to take away the opportunity for growth, you're robbing, you're stealing from your kids. These kids, we, they need to learn how to be independent. And uh, the problem with uh, a, an enabling relationship or an unhealthy helping relationship is we keep our, our children, our families, our partners, we keep the people around us dependent meaning they have to have us in order to function. And when there's two people that have to have each other, that is called two dependents or codependent people. And when you have two dependent people, then no one in the room is independent. The parent has to keep the child needing the parent, and the child needs the parent because they have never learned to do anything. It's codependence. And in the end, all the only person that's going to rob are those that are dependents. If you want a relationship to work long-term, you both must become independent of each other, meaning I don't have to have you because I know how to do this by myself. I'm independent of you. And when both of us are independent, we don't have to have each other, but we choose to be with each other, that's called interdependent. You can now create a higher relationship with each other. Codependent people cannot create an interdependent relationship. You are too, you're not independent. But uh, for example, I'm never, I fly a lot and I'm never going to, um, I'm never going to be able to just fly my own airline, right? I'm not going to do that. So I'm dependent on Delta Airlines. Delta Airlines is dependent on me, but really I don't have to have Delta and Delta doesn't have to have me. They can go find other people, and I can find other airlines. So by both of us being independent of each other, where I don't have to take Delta, I could take any other airline, we could go create something really cool together and have an interdependent relationship. But where you're both highly dependent, it's dysfunction all around. And so just be looking at your relationships. Are they independent enough? It's, it's just pretty basic stuff, folks. It's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for being here again. We'll be back. Uh, more ideas next hour. Stick with us. Great stuff coming up. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Top of the morning to you. 
This is the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your coach, your guide on the side, doing what we can on this program, folks, to give you the tools you need to live a healthier, happier life. That is priority number one. Today, uh, you um, you know, you may have noticed you've been going to a lot of weddings in the last month or so. You know, it's wedding season. Interestingly, uh, June, August, September, October tend to be some of the busiest wedding months. And uh, we're going to be talking about what to do to make sure you avoid the post-wedding blues. You know, many of us are so caught up in just getting the wedding to happen that we don't actually ever think about the marriage and the relationship after the fact. So, And a lot of people fall into a little bit of a funk after all the wedding is over and all the fun and then the bills start to come. And, you know, people got to pay that. We'll be talking with Julie Nelson uh, from a spoonful of parenting.com. She's going to be walking us through how to avoid the post-wedding blues. I myself, uh, you know, I just got really busy. I was married in February, which isn't a very popular month to get married, apparently. But it was the only break I had in school. And um, I don't know that I ever had a post-wedding blue, but I definitely had a little purple. And that wasn't very good. So we'll be working on that, helping you with that. Also, just a interesting uh, stuff that's been going on. Went to Jurassic World over the weekend. Interesting. Wow. Way to reinvigorate Jurassic Park and all of the the great uh, effects and storyline of, of Jurassic uh, Park. You're going to end up finding out, though, man, I think these dinosaurs are coming back. Jurassic World, uh, it ended in such a way that, you know what, there's going to be more. That uh, was an interesting thing. Got to go with my son and watch him, you know, text (laughs) through the thing. Also uh, had a really interesting weekend in that I went and I'm not, again, my family was away. I was loving my life because I was really free from anything. I could do anything I wanted. And um, I chose to do a lot of Netflix Netflix watching and a lot of uh, reading and writing. And then my son came and then we hung out. It was pretty fun. But when it came to the fireworks, I just my son just went to a friend's house and I just sat in my house wondering when they were going to quit blowing up the world. Man, it was depressing, honestly, because I just not not because I didn't I didn't want to be out doing anything. I was having fun, but I didn't I'm getting old. There's that moment when you just reach the fact that you know what I don't even I don't even care about the fireworks. Maybe it was the fact that your alarm went off at 4:40. It was going to go off at 4:40 and you needed your sleep. That's true. That was true too. Yeah. Yeah, that was just a big... when you dozed off another one went off, yeah. right? Like, yeah. What the? <laughs> These kids. I'm an old man. I did that 4:40 thing honestly and then once my head's awake, my I'm up. Can't go back. Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I like last night. I did not fall asleep till about twelve forty. Oh, and I'm so I'm thinking because I get up at four forty, four hours, four hours. Then my son came in sleepwalking, and woke us up. And my wife just sent him away. Like he came in, he's like, "So when's the party and the thing?" And she's like, "What? <laughs> when's the party and the thing?" And she's like, "Wake up! What are you talking? Just go to bed. What are you oh. talking about?" And then I heard him walking around the house. It was bad. That is four hours of sleep. Not good. Not good yeah. for a Monday. Yeah, but you know what? When this show's over, wonk, See I'm in ya. my room. Nap time. <laughs> I even brought those things to put over my eyes today because it's so bright. Our offices are so bright. 
anyway. Mm, nap time. Well, uh, speaking of naps, I'm gonna we're gonna go to Kathy Aiken. She's gonna do the news. I'm just gonna, gonna I'm just gonna just a one minute nap is all I'm getting. And then I'll be back when you need me. Okay. I'll call you when I'm ready. There's Kathy in the headlines. Stock markets and oil prices fell across the world today. This after voters in Greece yesterday rejected a bailout offer from international creditors. Major American stock markets opened lower this morning. The Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 140 points, while the Nasdaq Composite, Composite lost 47 points. The European Central Bank's Governing Council is set to meet today to discuss emergency lending options for Greece. The U.S. women's soccer team dominated Japan last night 5-2, winning their first World Cup title in 16 years. Carl Lloyd, Carly Lloyd scored three points, goals, excuse me, becoming the first woman to score a hat trick in the World Cup. Lloyd said the win was a lifelong dream and she loved the challenge. I love to perform at the biggest stage. I love pressure situations. I love when people tell me I can't do something. That's what keeps me going, keeps me motivated, and I just want to continue to fight like an underdog and go out there and work hard. Last night's win came four years after Japan beat the U.S. in the Women's World Cup Finals. The seven combined goals was the most in a Women's World Cup Final. Lloyd won the Golden Ball awarded to the tournament MVP. South Carolina's General Assembly returns today, and one of the hot topics will be what to do with the Confederate flag. Governor Nikki Haley asked for its removal from the state capitol after a gunman killed nine black people in a Charleston church last month. Among the topics for debate is whether or not to put another flag in its place and what kind of ceremony should take place if the Confederate flag is removed. A two-thirds vote is required under state law to alter the flag's position. Twenty-four people were injured, some of those critical, after a deck they were standing on collapsed at a North Carolina beach house. The family members were on the deck for a family photo when they fell. One woman called 911. I was on the phone with 911, so I just counted people on the ground and I counted up to 21 and I just said you just need to get as many units as you can here. The victims ranged in age from 5 to 94 and the fall was estimated to be between 10 and 12 feet. Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton has reportedly decided to be more available to the media beginning this week. After two months of not granting interviews to the press, Clinton has apparently realized her silence has hurt her campaign. Thousands of people helped kick off Pamplona's running of the bulls this morning. There will be bull runs every morning until July 14th. And speaking of running, Matt... Oh, you mm-hmm. do. You have your. Is that a Fitbit? Is that yes. what you wear? Yes, okay. uh, it's actually a Fitbit, but I call it a bit fit because I'm only a bit fit. Just a bit, not mm-hmm. not a whole lot. Well, according to data compiled compiled by two workout apps, California, Colorado, and Washington are the states with the most active residents. Really, this is based on the length, frequency, and type of exercise. The bottom three. You ready? Yeah. South Carolina, Delaware, uh-huh. and North Dakota. Information from Map My Fitness's 25 million users, mostly 25 to 44 year olds, showed that Texas is the top running state. Idaho led in indoor and outdoor cycling, and My Fitness Pal analyzed information from its 65 million users in seven of the top 10 active states. They say we're out west. So, wow, yeah, we're doing something. Right yeah, the out west. Here, I, guess, huh? I think it's because it's the open sky, yeah, the warmer weather, the warmer weather. Yeah. Get you outdoors. Yeah, you have things to do. Right. We have mountains, mm-hmm. rivers, streams. Yeah, exactly. Go well, do something. I mean, what do you do in a city? You run and get all the exhaust in your nose and mouth, mm. which is not always not, fun. Not, 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 not good. Not good for the lungs. Well, that's interesting news. Yeah. And um, 
That yeah. kind of scares me, though. That they have, I don't know, they can collect that data. Kind of scares me. I just don't like people collecting my data. You know? Oh, you don't? No. Okay. It's for me, not. Well, not I, for them. that's funny because we've been. Terry and I have been looking at all your data lately. Oh, good. Okay, great. Yeah, you and need to run a little bit more. And you're getting it from my computer? Do I, yeah. I don't know you're hooked up to my... Uh-uh. uh-huh. We know all your I've passwords. I've got to bring in my own laptop. You need better passwords. <laughs> Mine's actually pretty good. Uh, you think it is, uh, but yeah, we is. snuck right on. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Uh, you, need be- you need better than Kathy Aiken Rocks. <laughs> That's not a great password. Yeah, no, I've never tried that one, though. Try that yeah, one. Yeah, let me try that one. Don't try but Kathy Aiken Rocks of- 1, because we'll never get that one. <laughs> or the last four of my... Home phone number yeah, or something. Don't it. do that. Yeah, your they mother. always go for that. What, what What was your maiden name? I'm not telling you. Okay, darn it, darn it. <laughs> was this close, Ben? Oh, my birthday? Nope. Don't use that either. Your birthday? I can figure this out. No, you can't. Yes, I can. I will ask BYU HR, <laughs> and they'll say, "I really want to celebrate Kathy's birthday." <laughs> hey, while you're at it, can you tell me her maiden name? <laughs> That's great. Oh, that's well, fun. Okay, well, just beware of your Fitbit. Is everybody's looking at your Fitbit and that you're not really very fit because you're not using it very much. That's so, so be true. careful. I wonder if my Fitbit tells everybody that I just sit here on my chair. You know that does it I don't tell even. You to, does it warn you? Because that my Apple Watch. Yeah. When I've been sitting yeah. too long, it gets me to. Does that do that? No, no. no it does doesn't it tell you it's time to move. No, but it does get mad when I have someone push me in my chair to my office. Yeah. It's like, no, dude, you lazy bum. Get up. (laughs) Get up. That's crazy. Well, good job, Kathy. Great news. Great news. And uh, we are going to, of course, uh, be right back. We're going to take a break. Julie K. Nelson from A Spoonful of Parenting will be joining us. How to avoid the post-wedding blues. If you've got kids, grandkids, family, friends, people you love going through uh, you know, having just gone through their wedding, let's give them some tools so they don't slide into the post-wedding blues. You'll be able to send uh, a copy or a link of this podcast to your friends. So listen up. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's wedding season, and a lot of times we we don't spend as much time worrying about the marriage as we do the wedding. So once the wedding's all said and done, we want to give our kids a chance to succeed, a chance to actually make it work, right? But there there tends to be a little bit of a letdown, a little bit of a... It's a difficult moment sometimes, that first year of marriage, and our uh, our bomb mom, our our child whisperer, Julie K. Nelson's joining us from a spoonful of parenting.com. And she's here to teach us today about how we can help our kids or ourselves avoid the post wedding blues. What do you mean? How could you be blue? You finally are one. That's right. It's kind of like, uh, you know, isn't it supposed to be like. Sunshine and lollipops yeah. after that. Uh, unicorns, butterflies. Exactly. Well, you know, I kind of, it's kind of like uh, the same idea as Christmas. There's mm. this big buildup. Oh, yeah. Right? Big yeah. buildup. Yeah. And then your kids rip open all the presents. That's, I hate and that. And then there's wrapping paper and tinsel all over the place. And they look around and go, that's it? That's all you got? Huh? Where's my drum set? 
So there's this <laughs> letdown. Whenever there's a huge buildup, the more you build it up, oh, yeah. the worse the fall. Well, and weddings are probably the biggest buildup we've got. Exactly. I mean, short of death. And we spend more on weddings than we do on Christmas. Oh, yeah. Folks, we do. Well, Way and then, more. Then, then you have to go. Then it's all got to be paid for. Mm-hmm. So if some of these couples that are marrying a little bit later, they might even be paying for a lot of their own weddings and they've done it up and now they're finally married and now they got to deal with the reality of how you make it work. Right. And the first year they say first year is one of the hardest, right? Exactly. Because you're like, I didn't. What? What happened to you? <laughs> You used to be so nice and cordial. <laughs> now you're my spouse. Yeah, you know the bills come in, and you know the hype is over, and you just come, you, it's, it's just an emotional letdown. It really yeah. is. They're they're just you can't avoid it because there's so much expectation. It's so high. Yeah. And there's got to be this perfect day, and there's no perfect day after that like that you can compare it to. I mean, there's no, there's just not this the band well, right. singing for you. Where is everybody united for you? Yeah, clapping day in and day know, out, throwing rice and uh-huh. saying whoa. Every morning that you wake up. Yeah, you you don't ride in a limo everywhere you Mm -mm, go. mm -mm. And Uh you don't have a beautiful dress and your hair's not done up. I've never had a beautiful dress, but... My hair is always done up. <laughs> it, it looks very nice, by the way, <laughs> Thank Matt. Thank you very much. Yeah, and so, you know, I have a daughter in three weeks that's going to get married. <gasps> this is So this is really a tribute to her. Yeah, I thought about this because I'm in that whole process yeah. of what do we do to make this realistic so that it, afterwards life is realistic rather than a huge comparison of opposites mm-hmm. between the before and the after. You want the marriage to last longer than the wedding bouquet. Yeah, Exactly. That's important. That's, that's a, you should you should like. Actually, I stole that from someone. I was else. gonna say you should put that on a plaque. Like somewhere. Tennessee or somebody uses that as their marriage enrichment program. Yeah, and there's a lot of families who I have a lot it. of you know fighting and conflict, you know, going on because of the whole day because there's so much expectation and what are we gonna serve, you know, and, and oh, are they not having lobster? They're not having an open bar, you know, yeah. what's wrong with them? And there's just people telling you what to do. Ugh. Oh. Both, both families and they've been then the bride and groom are stuck between you're the two stressing of them. me out exactly so <laughs> i you know i just want to just give some advice on for example columnist james sherman reports that post-wedding letdown is one of the many factors explaining the u.s bureau of census data showing that the highest rates of divorce occurred during the first three years of marriage hmm. uh you know it, we just went to two weddings just this last weekend, or uh, I guess a couple of weeks ago, weekends ago. One of them was a garden wedding. They put so much time and effort oh, into this garden wedding. Yeah. It was beautiful. That's great because they'll use that yard for an entire summer. Yes, except for the fact that <laughs> it was the weather was gorgeous up till literally thirty minutes oh, before. <laughs> was, there was not a cloud in the sky, yeah. and then some freaky thing happened. Well, somebody the made weather? God mad. Remember that it yeah. happened. Oh, that was and that, all that moment. Sudden, that yeah. moment. And so we go to this wedding reception, and it is pouring <laughs> down rain. That's and sad, but I'm the, laughing. The Wind blew over all the table mm. centerpieces. The the linens were soaked. No one could sit down. It was. And my friend afterwards had a great attitude. She's like, "If I would have known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have worked so hard." Oh yeah, you know, you wouldn't have needed to because yeah, you would. You know, the garden would have weeded itself. <laughs> Nobody would have cared. Yeah, you know, it, and they were. And this is the ironic thing: is it was a summer wedding, so they were having an ice cream bar. Oh, Nobody no. had ice cream because it was freezing cold and they were wet. Yeah. So you know, and then everybody's you, inside like a wet you dog. Plan. Your house smelled yeah, exactly. like a wet dog. Exactly. You plan, and, and you know, and then I had a student in one of my classes who got married the same weekend. She said, literally, the wind was so strong it blew over the wedding cake. 
I mean, you spend so much time picking out that dang cake. Oh, man. And there goes plop See, on the ground. See, but isn't that the point? It's not about that. No. But that's what we build it up no, as. No, it's about the relationship. It's, yeah. it's about building a solid relationship. So I've got some points I want to share yeah. on being reasonable and conscious so that you don't have – the when things get back to normal, the couple doesn't go, that's it. Kind of like wow. a Christmas day. So, yeah, no more carriage? Yeah, no more carriage rides. Right. People are, are going to applaud. Just get in the car. I'm not going to applaud and take your picture every time you turn yeah. around. We don't even have air conditioning in our car. <laughs> I know. Welcome to the real world. Exactly. Interesting. What are some of the points? So, first of one is, is like I said, there's going to be a lot of people telling you what to do. And both sides of the families may have different advice and different expectations and what we're going to serve and how big's the party and how many people do we invite. So, don't listen to others. Yeah. Yeah. Know, to a point, right? Take it in. That's a um, weird deal because a lot of the guys don't care. Yeah, they don't. I mean, and it's not. I'm not trying to just stereotype, but they really don't care. Don't care. Yeah. And so it, we, we almost are less invested in any of that. So even if it kind of goes south, whatever. Yeah. But it's it could be devastating to the girl that's been on Pinterest pinning uh, her entire uh, wedding uh, for uh. the last six years. Uh-huh. Exactly. And, 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 and any fallout, I can't believe you let your mom sit by your dad <laughs> and they're divorced. I mean, you, who put those there? I mean, yes. that's so strong. Right, right. And she's just she's more worried about the logistics and the mechanics of the day than enjoying the, the moment, moment with her yeah. with her soon to be husband. It's huge. Um, and so he, she drags him around and they're like fighting. He's like, I don't want to go to this next. Do I have to go to this florist? You know, yeah. and he just hates the whole thing. And she's just dragging, dragging, dragging. Does she not realize that there's got to be some understanding of doing things for yourselves and not for others mm-hmm. and not creating this huge expectation bubble? Because it's going to burst. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's kind of like the father of the bride. Do you remember Do you remember Martin Short uh-huh. in that wedding planner? Yeah, I mean, yeah. freaked <laughs> out guy. He's the exaggeration of the wedding planner. Yeah, totally. You know, we don't have to have the whole kit and yeah. caboodle. No. Everyone thinks you should have no. it to be like everybody else's. What if you just were like rebels and said, what if we don't do this? Oh, it What was... if we don't have um, – is people just going to be like, wow. We, we broke all the rules because my father-in-law just said, we'll losers. give you this much money. Uh-huh. Just take this much money. If you all I ask is that you have some reception so that my friends can come see you. Mm-hmm. That's all I care about. And he gave us the money, and we had a good reception. But we back in the day, we had an ice cream Sunday bar, which they didn't do, mm-hmm. and we pocketed a lot of the money. You know, I've heard that when I've discussed this with parents more and more. I've heard that same thing where they say, "Here's your amount of dollars mm-hmm. that we'll spend. Totally Anything you don't spend, you get to keep." And that taught the bride and groom how yeah. to be so frugal. That's they talk right. people down and say, "What's your bottom line?" And let's go down ten percent and all this sort of stuff with the different, you mm-hmm. know. And then it's a choice thing. Then it's about yeah. it's about choosing. And you already, if that's the case, you'll see the couple that's already going to have money issues. Uh-huh. You'll see it preparing for the wedding. Yeah. But if mom or dad are just going to write the check, then you don't even know you're going to have an issue. And they, they're really going to become smart from the very beginning. That's great. And you don't care about what other people have because you know that you can make smarter choices. Good stuff. So if there's no perfect day. You don't have to look like the bridal magazine or all oh, the Pinterest things. Please, yeah. please, please don't. That's just unrealistic. Stay in control. Don't be swept away by the hype of the day. Yeah. Um, don't you, you, you know, listen to other people and listen to what, you know, the two different families have to say. But take it in and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. You know, this is what my my husband and I to be are going to do, and don't feel guilt tripped. You know, by people. 
Oh, it's so big. So don't listen to them up to a point. Say, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to be realistic. Because everyone has huge expectations, uh-huh. and you have you cannot fulfill well, it all. Well, I remember with my daughter's wedding, it was beautiful. But honestly, I don't remember much of it because I was out on a deck with the sun beating on my back, mm-hmm. just making me sweat like a dog. And um, we made the uh, – we didn't. People – my daughter made the biggest deal about getting the gumballs. The gumballs have to be the right color. The gumballs have to be the right color. It got to get the right color. And um, in the end, the gumballs were irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Nobody even noticed the gumballs. I mean they ate the gumballs, but not all of them. So we had like 5,000 gumballs for about a year. And um, my kids have all lost their teeth. It's bad. <laughs> Decay. But the dumbest thing became an expectation and she found it on a bridal thing and it looks so cute because the gumballs were in a jar. Mm-hmm. And, oh, we have our own color gumball. Mm-hmm. And it be and it, it ended up that night being something that was irrelevant. And then something that I didn't even think of was the dance with the bride, the father's dance with mm-hmm. the bride. Mm-hmm. And that became the biggest event of my life. But I didn't even know it was happening until like five minutes before. Like, where are we? Why didn't anybody tell me this? Like, I would have liked to have prepared. You didn't know you were on the program. I didn't know I was on that program. And so <laughs> it's it's interesting what we kind of prioritize and make a problem and sometimes important things we don't even pay attention to. Mm-hmm. But it's huge. Yeah. And that's the expectation. We've got to manage it. And that's where it. those little tiny things, those little, you know, molehills become mountains. Mm-hmm. And then we can ruin an entire day over <laughs> colors of gumballs. Gumball! Yeah. Like my daughter was like, do, tell the boys not to eat any more gum. We're going to run out of gum. So ask yourself, if we don't do X, yeah. will the world fall apart? Yeah. What and will matter in five years? these things in a perspective. Oh, of, yeah. If we don't have this, will anyone die? You know, no. will our marriage still be surviving? Just kind of remember, it's okay if we don't do it like everybody else. What if we break some rules? It's, it's okay. Heaven forbid. Yeah. We're talking with Julie K. Nelson from A Spoonful of Parenting. She's adding a little zest to being a parent. And by the way, you need it if your kids are getting married. You need a lot of zest. We'll take a break, come back, and continue learning how to avoid the post-wedding blues. Parents, you could be a big part of this. Guide your kids to make sure they can make it through that first year without any major problems. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, friends. Julie K. Nelson is in the house from A Spoonful of Parenting. Uh, just a great um, – she's, she's been on the show forever. She's got to be pushing 75, 80. <laughs> it's so Pretty close. It's so Pretty close. You've been on the show forever, but you're, te- you're, the, you're the mom bomb. You're the one that teaches us how to not ruin our relationship with our kids. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that is when they're getting married, you got to teach them how to be married. And you got to step back because parents, that's the time when you want to have the perfect day because this is yeah. what you've imagined for your mm. child for 25 years or whatever it yeah. is, you know. It's like, oh, and parents step back. Let them have some control. Let them make some decisions. I know you want to have this and that, <laughs> but it's okay if they say no. Yeah, I but what if, you, what if you really know better than they do? Yeah, well, Because they're just a bunch of yeah, starry-eyed kids. You can kids. give some advice, but then you step back because, mm-hmm. you know, at that point, they're going to remember – 
that day that mom was screaming at him, tell him to do this, this, and this, mm-hmm. and they're going to remember that for the rest of their life. So just step back. This seems like a really important moment because this is where that you begin to break the ties to your children is through the wedding, getting getting yeah, them married, going through this process. Yeah, be this kind. Is, yeah. I mean, they even have reality TV shows just because people turn into oh. bridezilla. You yeah. know, you've got the say yes to the dress. Have you seen that, Matt? Uh, it is yes. crazy nuts. It was like the longest hour of my life. Oh my gosh. I spent a week there one they're just hour. They're just cashing in on the craziness of people, of the moms and the friends taking their daughter out to pick the right dress, and they all are snarky to each other, and oh, it's <laughs> yeah, awful. totally. So number one, don't listen to others up to a certain point. Let them go. Let yep. them decide it's their wedding, let not them go, yours. go. Let them grow. Number two, keep your expectations reasonable, especially with budgeting. Most couples don't talk about budgeting. It's tab- taboo. A Gallup poll reported that two-thirds of American couples do not use a budget. Oh, yeah. Two-thirds do not use a budget. Why would you need a budget when money flows just easily uh, Exactly. To your... It's an, I'm growing in my backyard. How about yours? <laughs> yep. So a wedding is a good place to start talking about money and finances and budgeting. Um, you need to be wise. Like we talk about with resources. I mean, even give them some money and say, if, if you're paying for it, parents, say, here is the amount. This is it. We're not going over. You decide how you want to use yeah. it. And they start becoming wise with their resources and saying no to unnecessary expenditures. Huge. Um, better position to succeed after a married life because a lot of the post-marriage wedding blues is about now we've overspent. Uh-huh. We're in debt. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, you're, you're married to a crazy um, spender and oh, they don't yeah. know how to put the reins on. And, or just, and you have to get used to each other's style. Mm-hmm. One might be the saver. One might be the spender. And then it's just – yeah. You got to get used to it. You got to learn how get to on get page. on the same page, cool. and how to speak. You know, speak budgeting, speak finances, and and support one another, not undermine. The budget just creates a conversation moment, really, and it's and it gives you some plan. Yeah, you got to have a plan. So have your expectations reasonable with that. You know, because it really doesn't matter. Once if you hire the Philharmonic from New York City, or you play a CD wedding march, you're still happily married. Yeah, you know. Please be realistic with your expectations. Plus, what would that cost to bring in the Philharmonic? Man. Ben wants to have the Mormon Tabernacle Choir sing. All like 400 of them. I will have the Mormon. Oh, sorry. Hey, they just sang, wait, wait, they just sang it at, at a, was it the Nets or some baseball yeah, game? Yeah. yeah, they just sang, uh, yeah, like a Yankees game. Yankees, was it? uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. How cool is that? That is cool. All of them on the baseball field. I was, yeah, it's like, they're not coming to the wedding. <laughs> they're in New York. So number three, this is something that many people do not consider, but go to premarital counseling. That'll really help out with the post-wedding blues. Um, There's a lot of online assessments that you can take or see a counselor. A lot of... um, Pastors and other um, people in in religious settings will offer premarital classes. A lot to, of churches, churches, Catholic Church, uh-huh. really, they won't let you get married till exactly. you've gone through. So some. go through it. Go through it. Learn about each other. Learn yeah. about the issues. Um, you'll learn how to avoid, you know, problems that could surface the year after you're married. See, but people are like afraid. Well, I don't want to curse it by. Mm. You're just going to bless it by getting some information you're and the tools. Bless it. You're going to bless it. So take advantage of any resources that you have, even. Sit down with your parents, for goodness sakes. If they're wise and good counselors, sit down and say, what advice do you have for us? Um, and go through some counseling with whoever you trust. Yeah. Um, even if you want to take it online, take some classes or read some books. And I've even seen some do premarital counseling or whatever. And then after, within their first year, they go, they go take some other mm-hmm. classes together. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when you talk to somebody that's about to get married, they don't see that they're going to have problems because they, you know, 
They're just happy. They are because they're all in love and no problem is really that big of a deal that they can't like, you know, love doesn't fix it. Right. But after you're married, that euphoria often will wane on a day, uh-huh. you know, some days and the big, the little problems become big problems and they're not just like covered over by your ecstatic love. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then so you got to get real. Yeah, yeah. And so you do have to face the fact that um, you're not going to be madly in love like you are before Mary. Yeah. On every- There's a natural draw mm-hmm. in the chemistry levels. You know, this is not months. a bad thing no, it's, because it's we nature. can't live. On, well, we can't live on that climatic high. Well, it's, it's the same thing with your job. You were ecstatic to get your first job at the mall, and that eventually faded. <laughs> and you were ecstatic to go to school, and that faded. Yeah. I mean. Excitement fades, yeah. and it doesn't have to fade to like horrible lows. It just fades to a normal level. Yeah, what then it you're should just be. normal. What right. it should be, because you can't live the other way. It's yeah. just it would be too. That's good. Yeah. So, um, you know, just just remember, people, education, educate yourself. We learn all about, and we have to take, you know, English and science and yeah. math and all that sort of stuff. And I'm sorry, but I don't use a lot of, you know, no. the especially the, in your marriage, you may not use a lot of geometry, Spanish. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, but you learn. You need to learn how to succeed in human relationships. So totally. why not invest in See, that? See, that's why you teach classes. Yeah. Right? So um, Brad Wilcox, he's a forerunner. You know him yeah, in marriage. He's awesome. He's awesome. National Par- Marriage Project, University of Virginia. Um, he says that couples who take premarital courses or inventories fare much better than those who don't. So enhance your understanding of each other before marriage. It'll help after. Yeah. Last one is for number four. And people don't think about this, but I really want to put this out there. To avoid the post-wet mudding blues... Don't focus on yourself. Focus on others yeah. before you're married, including your fiancé. In other words, don't make it all about you or there's going to be a lot of eye rolling uh-huh. behind your back. Totally, like, totally. oh, my gosh, it's Bridezilla Here again. Here she goes. After the wedding, you'll no longer be the star of the show. The lavish set is taken down. The wedding dress is put away. The flowers start to wilt. The audience has moved on to the next performance. I mean, yeah. I mean yeah, uh, wedding. Yeah. Yeah. They're all moving to the next wedding. So it's not every, – every waking moment is not about your hair your drink, the ring, your dress, you know, all that sort of stuff. I mean, you know, it's not about you. No. I mean, there are a lot of things you got to consider. But how how much can you, during your pre you know wedding time, think about what would my fiance want? Oh, how yeah. could I do something nice for his family? What could we do to thank them out to, to take them out to thank them for everything? How can you be? How could you be others oriented? Totally. If you're others oriented, not self, self, self focused, that'll really help to set you up for no post wedding yeah. blues because you're already looking and reaching out to how you can improve the lives. And of that others. that should continue on for the first year. I always like to give people space once they get married. Just everybody leave them alone. Mm-hmm. Let them figure it out for a while. Yeah. Invite them over for dinner once in a while. <laughs> That's good stuff. Yeah, so don't drown, don't drown in drama. Balance your pre-marriage period with serving others, listening to a friend in need. You know, turn to your friend and say, how, how are things going on with you? Mm-hmm. Rather than listen to me all the time about my wedding plans. Because the real measure of beauty, including the bride, is their goodness within and their concern for others. That's real beauty. That's huge. It's selflessness. Yeah. Man, yeah. who'd have thunk it, Julie? Just something that simple. Mm-hmm. Get out of you. Get into your partner. Serve, serve, Turn serve. to your friend and say, how can I thank you? Rather yeah. than, you know, come yeah. come. Tell me about what's going on with you. Exactly. Because I've been into me. I mean, everyone's into me because I'm the bride. Right. I like that. Uh, Julie K. Nelson's her name. A Spoonful of Parenting.com is her game. Go check out that website and her newest book, Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger 25 Tips for Surviving Parenthood. Julie, thanks. You did it again. The Bomb Mom, the uh, Child Whisperer, we call her. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be going to whisper with a few of our favorite children. 
the guys from BYU Sports Nation. Up next, finding out what's coming up on their program at the top of the hour. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. I love rock and roll. little Joan Jett for you. And uh, I also love BYU Sports Nation and our good buddies. Did you hear Jerem just go, ow! Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan. How are you, gentlemen? Good. Brian's here today. Spencer, oh, my heavens. Out. He ate uh, too many hamburgers over the weekend. Did he get all? He's all bloated still. Mm-hmm. I heard that. I got, the, <laughs> I got the BYU broadcast that he was bloated and was trying to work out that hamburger. So well, here's for, what happens, actually. Yeah. So for every five days I take off, he gets one. Wow, that's it's a true. good deal. It's true. Yeah, you had it. You where were you, Brian? Oh, Brian's been holding down the fort already. This is this is this is Brian Logan's uh, vacation month. Vacation, <laughs> as in he's going to earn the money that, to go on a vacation. Yeah, this month um, from this month. I, I don't go on any vacations. Well, ever. of course not. You Brian can't. Went to Hawaii. I can't. Like I can't a month and a half ago. I can't go on any vacations. <laughs> I only I only booked that once I knew that. You know, Spencer and Jerem are going to be here. Yeah, 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 yeah. You had like you had to clear it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm, I, I'm sorry, Brian. It feels like they're taking advantage of you. No, no, man. It's you know, it's it, I. I chose this life, and I am proud <laughs> of my decision. So I am too. Yeah, and you're you're the man. Let's be real. Brian is the man. He is the man. Where were you then, Jerem? I went to Bear Lake in northern. Oh yeah, little, it was it's, it's cold. It's a cold lake. No, it was seventy degrees. Man. Oh really? It was good. Yummy. Yeah, it was great. Went to uh, Pickleville Playhouse, played uh, Bear Lake West with mm-hmm. golf. Wow. Uh, so the first hole there is 500 yards. Yeah, how'd you do? Uh, I hit it 300 yards off the tee. No, come on. What What I'm now going to tell you is that it's downhill. <laughs> <laughs> you hit it 100 yards it a, off the tee and it rolled for 200 more. Exactly. You got the bounce? No, I probably hit it 200 and it rolled on. Didn't you do it on the golf cart or the golf track too? So it just kind of followed the golf track down the hill? Mm-hmm. That's how I golf. Yeah, I was just on a simulator. Did I mention that? My son's always like, Dad, don't you want to hit it down the middle of the fairway? And I'm like, nope, always head for the golf cart track. because yeah, It's closer. Once, yeah, it's closer, and it's just going to run that trail right down. It's a do you, slick do thing. you golf much? I do. Uh, I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty good. Mm. You guys got to teach me. I don't know how to golf. Oh, Let's it, go golfing. It's the yeah. perfect Sp- sport. Spencer's, hey, the th- Spencer, the uh, Brian, myself, and you. Let's go golfing. Let's, you know what? Serious. Let's do it, and let's. Let, I'll bet you the company will pay. Do you are you do you remember what? Oh, I'll just have Don. Don Donald. Oh, Don, Don, yeah, Don. Don will get it. He'll expense anything. If we bring Don, man, let's just bring Don too. Shout out to Don Shaline. Don's a great guy. One of the greatest bosses of all time. We could do an exchange. So you guys could teach me how yeah. to play yes. golf and I could, I could then after that teach we can go quarterback like, drills. That's I was going to say like huge. Chicago or something and then oh. we can, you know, do putt putt. I can oh. I I am really good sure. when it comes to putt. Let's do this. Cages. Let's just throw in a few trust building exercises and we'll just call it a retreat for the Mandy. radio. Ooh, I like mm-hmm. it. Some laser tag there too. Hey, that would be funny. Did you guys um What did you guys do? Did, oh, just Matt Townsend Brian. We, we just did a retreat. Uh, just and, uh, did a little golfing retreat. But we were teaching Brian. Um <laughs> what? Did you guys see the World Cup last night? Oh yeah. Unbelievable yeah. cool. So cool. I mean a hat trick. And a goal from half field, amazing midfield. So I was I was uh, cooking some burgers yesterday. Of course you were. I got home. And, yeah. Uh, it was three nothing. I went outside for a moment, 
And my wife opened the door and said, "We scored again. <laughs> Come watch this one." And it was the it was the midfield uh, goal. That was cool. Was, Amazing. It was at that point where when I handed my son back the remote and we watched uh, Caillou. Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> for two seconds. That is so – that's <laughs> a good dad, Brian. When I was done, I was like, hey, man, we got this, we got this wrapped up. So. Did, you, did you guys hear about this one? Because sometimes it gets lost with all the World Cup, yabbity yap. But uh, did you hear about the teen uh, that won the cherry pit spitting contest? Missed that one. Yeah, huge. 15-year-old Michigan girl said there was nothing special about the way she spit a cherry pit Saturday. I just took a deep breath and pushed hard. 49 feet, she spit a uh, pit. 49 feet. How's what? what? Yeah, that's some seriously long, big lungs. Wow. Is Guess what the legal? world record is. <laughs> it is legal, but you have to wear eye protection. Mm. Uh Natural. The world record is 93 feet, six you, and a half inches. How do you, like, prepare for that? How do you train? You know what? You just you just purse. Is that the word? Purse your lips? And mm-hmm. then you just blow. Well, I mean, like, you know, you obviously practice, but, you know, I'm talking about to, to extend your length, right? Do yeah. Do you do exercises, like lip exercises, like lung ex- breathing exercises? I don't know. Let's how ask Jerem. You just see someone training. <laughs> <laughs> Rocky montage, spinning. getting yeah. ready for this. Breaking event. windows, pink. It's like Joey Chestnut. With That's hot right. Dog eating the hot dog. That just makes me sick. I know. You can't it's, eat uh, sixty, whatever. How how many did he eat? That's just sick. He was going for ninety. Oh, oh. excuse me. Just had 90. a gag reflex there. That's just not right. I I don't like competitive eating. I want to eat to enjoy it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't, if, eat, I didn't eat one hot dog actually. If you have to dunk, if I'm you dunk your bun in a in the water. To get it down, you got a problem. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. just use your saliva. You only do, I only do that when I have to eat vegetables. When I was a little kid, you dunk them dunk. in water. I didn't really dunk them, but like I would take a, like I would yeah. have like a, a a bite, and then I'd have like my Kool Aid right there, there and go. like swig it like down a pill, really like if you're taking a pill. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That's exactly how I how I did. That was a technique. See, guys, I'm bringing you the sports today. Are you guys going to do anything on your part? Like, are you going to talk no. sports today? No. Mm-mm. Jerem, it's like you've been off for a week, man. I don't, I don't even remember how this goes. Like, well, I don't Let Brian lead it. Brian will take it. Studio Brian C will... is the name of the show, correct? Yeah, yeah. Studio C. Yeah, <laughs> try, t- try that. We're going to leverage the World Cup conversation. So Carly Lloyd had a hat trick uh-huh. in 16 minutes. Oh, that's so unbelievable. So we're going to talk about the greatest individual performances in BYU history. Hmm, male um, or female? Male or female. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, there have been some crazy good ones. You know, we dug into this a little bit this morning. We'll get Blaine Fowler's opinion on that. Cool. And we'll play a little Would You Rather later, which is a very fun game. That's a great game. Would You Rather. Would you rather compete in the uh, competitive eating or the cherry pit spitting contest? <laughs> that, see, the, it's those kind of questions that win the day, that bring in the ratings. You can add that, that one. Don, Don Shaline is going to make sure that we have the ratings. Would yeah. you rather be Brian Logan or Jerem Jordan? A great, great, great question. Clearly, Brian. I would Hello. Have for BYU and rugged, good looks. Thousands. I would. I would be Jerem. I'd love to be the host last week. Maybe of Sports Nation. Yeah. And to be what? How tall are you? Five eleven. I'm five twelve. Five twelve. Yes. Five twelve. Be five twelve. A lot of people call that six foot. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. It happens. I mean, you can say five twelve. You can say five thirteen. Yeah. Whatever. Kevin Garnett one time was asked. What it was like to be a seven footer, and he said, "I don't know. I'm six twelve. <laughs> <laughs> Cute. Well, guys, that's a good show. So you're going to do it. We're going to do the thing. We're going to get the points, and we're going to win the match. Boy, 
<laughs> That's that. Did you learn that just doing interviews after after games? Yes. That's great. Great yeah. verbiage. I, I'm trying to train all BYU athletes on this same verbiage. Well, you're fantastic. Take it one game at a time, 110. That's right. Well, guys, have a great show, Brian. Good luck trying to keep Jerem on task today. I will try. Just you know, send me a send, send a prayer up. Yeah, uh, everybody pray for Brian Logan. Appreciate that. That he can guide Jerem through today's BYU Sports Nation. <laughs> Lead me, guide me, walk beside me. <laughs> Let's seriously play golf. We will. I'm going to go talk to Don. Okay. <laughs> yeah, gonna, you you talk to Don. <laughs> I'm going to go see if I can close that deal. Don's Let's, probably listening. I know. He, I mean, ABC he, always be closing, man. He's always exactly okay. Close, close, close. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. Bye. Now back to. Uh, Back to the to my show, where I have the greatest boss, Don Shalane, just a man, just um, just heavenly sent, who's going to facilitate the golf game. Tons of fun. Anyway, uh, you know, great show today. Interesting guests. We talked about weddings and you know how to make sure your kids' marriage lasts longer than their wedding. Right, that's a big deal. We also in the first hour we we got into. Uh, mental health, and a lot of times we're throwing out this term that they've got mental health issues, and you hear that on the news. Every, almost any time there's a shooting or an accident or a tragedy, we always end up throwing that out there. But we talked with an expert about how important it is to be careful about when you're throwing that out there because just because somebody has depression, it doesn't mean they're going to be violent. And, in fact, that guest talked about the fact that there's not a correlation between mental health I- issues and violence. They don't correlate. Um, there are examples where people with mental health issues have gone violent, but um, don't always assume that just because somebody has anxiety or depression that they're, they're dangerous or threatening, right? And then um, in, in another hour, we talked with Dr. Sean Byrne simply about the, empower, the importance of making sure that we are healthy Helpers, where we're we're not enabling our people around us to actually become less functional, just simply because we're helping. Okay, we want our helping to help, not just to permanently hinder. But before we leave, we always like to leave you with a hero story. And today, who better to do it than State Trooper Doug Cropper and an emergency room nurse? Um, but one of the the great stories is that uh, early Friday morning on June twelfth, the Portland State Trooper Doug Cropper pulled over a man for speeding on the highway. He talked with the man who seemed fine, but when he returned to the car to give the man the ticket, Officer Cropper found out that the man was not breathing. He quickly acted, pulling the man out of the vehicle and performing a sternum rub, and then he uh, started CPR on the man. And the emergency room nurse pulled over, and she began to assist the officer. Together, they were able to get the man's pulse back, and when emergency crews arrived, they found that the man was breathing and standing up on his own, which is really an amazing feat when you think about it, considering you just had your sternum separated from your rib cage. So standing up is a pretty big deal. Uh, they took him to the hospital where he's treated, by the way, for a heroin overdose. And doctors say that the overdose would have been fatal had not been for the quick response of Officer Cropper and the nurse. So they are the Townsend Show's hero of the day. And really, when you think about it, just a cop and a nurse doing their job. Uh, just like all of us, we most of the time, we don't need a, a lot of heroes on this earth. We just need everybody to be being the best they can. And if you know CPR, perform it. If you just know 
how to be a great teacher, be a great teacher. If you're a parent, be the best parent you can be. In the end, you know, we we can help each other, we can lift each other, which is, again, the purpose of this show. We do it every uh, Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern time right here on BYU Radio. We can't do it without you, though. So check in tomorrow with us. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Until tomorrow, take care and make it a great one.